everybody. Welcome to The Filmographers, the podcast where we pick an actor, watch everything they've ever made, and then tell you what's worth watching. I'm your host, Lenny Burnham, and my guest this time is Sarah Golub, who is a co-creator of The Arden Podcast. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what your podcast is? Uh, yes. Uh, Arden is a fiction podcast, uh, audio drama, about a reporter and a detective working together to f- uh, solve a 10-year-old cold case about a starlet who went missing one Christmas night, just vanished into the woods, and they found a human torso in her car, and they're like, something happened here, but we don't know what, and it's been 10 years. And also, uh, maybe they like each other, maybe they hate each other, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Check it out. The finale is airing probably before this comes out. So just just listen to all of it, please. <laughs> and uh, where is it available? Um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Libsyn. Um, find us on ArdenPod uh, on Twitter, ArdenPodcast on Tumblr, ArdenPodcast online, ArdenPod on Instagram. We're, we're available. <laughs> nice. Uh, find me. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, this is the first time the guest has picked the actor, and you chose Amy Adams. Uh, this was a really, really good choice. I uh, I really hadn't thought about Amy Adams this much before this. Like, if someone asked me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, she's good, but I wasn't, like, a fan. And then watching this, I was like, oh, Amy Adams is incredible. Uh, there were so many movies, like, great movies I hadn't seen before or that I had seen, and then re-watching them, I was like, I did not remember how great this is. So great choice. Uh, what made you pick uh, Amy Adams, and what was your sort of relationship to her prior to, to this undertaking? Um, enough, I think I, I was in a pretty similar position. Is um, I was excited about... I had heard the podcast before, uh, we're friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was excited about the idea of it, but I didn't have like a clear actor I would pick, and I was just going through my favorite movies and, you know, recent nominations and which actors I liked, and I just clicked around on IMBD, and I realized that I had unknowingly seen most of Amy Adams' body of work already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, before I would have been like, yeah, she's great. But now I'm like, no, she's, she's okay. You're going to learn. She's done some very bad projects. <laughs> but I do think she generally, now that she has more control of her career, is picking good showcases for herself and good projects. And uh, she's just very good at what she does. Yeah, I feel like uh, <laughs> watching all of her stuff in order, I felt really like justified uh, for me how hard I go for CW actors. Because I'm like, no, you never know who, when given the chance, will turn out to be Amy Adams. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so you had a suggestion uh, to kick things off uh, with rating, kickoff. ranking nice. um, all of her love interests. Uh, do you want to do your, uh, how about you go through your whole best of and then I'll do my whole or best list and then I'll do my best list. It's just top five, guys. Okay. Um, the, these are honestly pretty boring choices because in my heart of hearts, I'm kind of a rom-com person. <laughs> uh, so Robert, uh, a.k.a. Patrick Dempsey in Enchanted. Are you going, and are you going five to one or one to five? 
Um, you know, I'm doing a one to five. Yeah, I appear <laughs> to have done that in this list. <laughs> All right, nice. That um, was also uh, the favorite pick uh, when I did a poll on our Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, he's a great love interest. Which is like, I'm pretty whatever I'm Patrick Dempsey, to be honest. But I like, yeah, I like that worked. movie so much. <laughs> the casting of Patrick Dempsey in that movie works because it's like, yeah, he's a regular guy. <laughs> he's not a Prince Charming. <laughs> You're like, maybe he does have a secret wife. Uh, <laughs> um, close second, um, Matthew Good and Leap Year. Um, only second because, honestly, uh, that character's not great. I just really love Matthew Good. Uh, <laughs> when you talk about Leap Year, I will make my feelings on that film clearer, which is that uh, the, the writing is really getting in the way of those actors being good uh, and nice and charming. Uh, for number three, uh, Lee Pace in Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. Uh, pretty much the same reason. Love Lee Pace. Uh, he's charming. He plays piano. Uh, minor point deduction that I kind of would have been fine with her ending up with any of the guys in that movie. Uh, fourth is um, Winston from Sunshine Cleaning. Uh, I'm not even entirely sure he's a love interest, but he seems like a nice guy. Kid likes him. Good for him. Uh, fifth is Henry Cavill, Clark Kent, and Man of Steel, and Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League. And it's honestly just on principle because I love Superman and Lois Lane. Okay, uh, my number five is Gary from The Muppets, uh, Jason Segel. Uh, he, you know, screws up, but he learns. Uh, four, I had Theodore from her, which is... Like, he is kind of a scrub, but I, like, bought their relationship. There was a foundation of friendship. Um, and then, of course, Robert from Enchanted. Uh, and then uh, Lee Pace from Miss Pettigrew. And then, number one, Clark Kent. Look, I... Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman are basically incomprehensible to me. But uh, based on the gift sets and the fact that he's Clark Kent, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with this relationship. Uh, I can do my worst first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Few so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so my number five is Eric from Julie and Julia, uh, Christmasini. Was, wait, Christmasina? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like in the third act, he just yells at her for no reason. And I think she apologizes to him afterwards. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then number four, no one sees this movie, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, Jack from the last run was like, I'm only marrying Amy Adams for the money, which is uh, <laughs> unacceptable. Uh, Irving from American Hustle. They had to make Christian Bale fatter and balder to pair him with Amy Adams. Uh, Walter from Big Guys, obviously, because he is a monster. And then Edward from Nocturnal Animals, who's just unbearable throughout that entire movie. Okay, my, uh, my worsts. Um, okay, so I'm going to go five to one this time. <laughs> Uh, number five, Jim in the office. Um, he's fine. He's just obviously in love with someone else, and it's kind of frustrating because the episode that she's in is all about, like, her getting all this unwanted attention from Michael and Dwight, and then, like, Jim walks in, and he's just has social skills, and they're <laughs> like, so obviously she falls for him, and it's like, I feel like she'd still not enjoy being hit on at her job, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, number four, um, Chris Messina in 
Julie and Julia. Um, I'm sure that that actual year of that couple's life was a lot harder, but in the movie, it's him being like, God, I can't believe that you're making homemade meals and trying to pursue your passion. What about me? And it's like, it's one year, calm down. <laughs> Uh, three, uh, Justin Timberlake in trouble with curves just because I did not like that love story. He wasn't interesting. He kept, like, jokingly insulting her and then, like, criticizing her life choices. And it's like, mm. It was, he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but that relationship was not compelling. And I had to watch it for, like, two hours. <laughs> Um, and then the number two and number one spots, uh, both of a love interest in nocturnal animals. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Army Hammer, uh, number two, because it's like, he's the husband and he seems fine, but he is cheating on her and he's cold and indifferent. But also, he looks like Army Hammer, and I'm sure that they're fine. Uh, <laughs> number, uh, number one, Jake Gyllenhaal, who had the nerve to send his ex a book about how her not wanting to be with him anymore has driven him insane. <laughs> the nerve. Yeah. Um, yeah, so fuck all those guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, uh, let's get into this filmography. Yeah. Uh, so her first movie is a cult classic called Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is now impossible to find. <laughs> I had to buy a copy on eBay for this podcast. And uh, it's a really, it's a really charming movie. It's definitely got a lot of problems, but it's also very unique and fun. It reminded me a lot of season one of Glee, but like condensed into ninety minutes, which is a, a lot I more palatable. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, it yeah it has the same sort of like quirky underdog feel and like a really strong aesthetic and punchy humor and it also has the same problems of like sometimes being like we cut to an asian character and that's the whole joke but uh <laughs> overall i would say uh it's a pretty fun movie that is worth watching if you can find it <laughs> uh, yeah so i give that worth it um Next, I, yeah, oh. I was not able to find it, but I watched just Amy Adams scenes on YouTube because someone had helpfully made a compilation. So if uh, you did that, thank you. <laughs> she was very fun in it. <laughs> uh, next is Psycho Beach Party. Woo. I always thought this movie was just like a regular bad horror movie, but it's an actual like comedy with a lot of style that is really really fun. Uh, yeah, I had seen this movie in high school, actually. <laughs> uh, like, caught it on TV, and I was like, one day I will find a way to watch Psycho Beach Party again. Yeah, I'm shocked that I hadn't seen it earlier, because I went through a big phase of just watching everything that a Buffy actor was in, um, but I think my, I guess, probably my video store just never had this, so I never saw it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun, like, super camp, uh, like parody of 60s beach movies, surfer movies. Um, stars, oh, what is her name? Lauren uh, Ambrose. Lauren Ambrose from uh, Six Feet Under, who's great, and Nicholas Brennan from Buffy, who's the Buffy actor. Uh, yeah, I, I am not usually that big of a fan of camp, but I thought this was like genuinely funny and also like genuinely sexy in parts and felt like legit gay instead of just like gay-ish in that, like, camp way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amy Adams plays the... Not the... Uh, 
For a while, Amy Adams is typecast as, like, a hot girl in a way that you expect, like, Megan Fox would have that role, which is not something I realized about her career when I went into this. Yeah. <laughs> she is, of course, beautiful. That's not the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is really weird. She seemed, like, I always felt like she seemed like such a girl next door, like, Something like The Muppets, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense yeah. for how Hollywood would see her. But yeah, her first few roles were aggressively like, her thing is she is very, very sexy. I've seen her boobs so many times <laughs> in like this one month. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, I, 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 no, no comment, no comment. <laughs> um... Next one uh, is an episode of that 70s show called Burning Down the House. Uh, it's the one where uh, Kel... Uh, Jackie is throwing a fancy party and Kelso thinks he'll help by getting everybody drunk and high and she gets all mad at him. Um, I really like this episode. We talked about that 70s show on the Rock episode as well and I think it's really sweet. Um, It's really like focused on like down-to-earth things that teens actually go through which I like and I think that Jackie and Kelso are probably the strongest part of the show and this is a really good Jackie Kelso episode and then the subplot with Amy Adams is that she's uh sleeping with Hyde but she's not telling anyone because he's kind of like a stoner burnout um and I liked that the resolution was just like he doesn't really care like it's I feel like it's always refreshing when sitcom characters don't freak out about everything they're like I don't care that this is a sitcom this is not a big deal to me yeah he's like so you'll ignore me when your friends aren't around. Oh, you'll ignore me when your friends are around, but then you want to make out with me when they're not. And she's like, "Yes." And he's like, "Fair enough. Now I understand the deal." <laughs> yeah, it was very refreshing because I feel like I see so many things where I'm like, "Why is this com- guy complaining about having sex with Amy Adams?" Like, Don't do that. Cool. Yeah. Next up, we got uh, an episode of Charmed, which, as someone who watched almost every episode of Charmed obsessively, um, this is like a week one of by Charmed standards. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch Charmed at the time, and every time I've tried to watch it, I kind of get the feeling that it's something that, like, if it passed you by, you're, like, not gonna get into yes. it now. No, um, it's, it's... <laughs> also, the Netflix apparently couldn't get the rights to their theme song but they still have the full credits and it's like no you you'd need that really good theme song or else it's pointless uh-huh. <laughs> um so amy adams this is a, a break from her streak of playing hot girl characters she plays um like a very sweet um uh, she's a character who is in line to become an angel when she dies. That's the deal. Is um, someone's a demon's trying to ruin her life so that she uh, kills herself so she can't become an angel. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> um, and don't worry, the show has even dumber things to say about <laughs> depression and suicide. <laughs> um, but it is her first very wholesome girl next door role. <laughs> um. I feel like uh, Amy Adams has a curse where she just doesn't make good TV. Like, the <laughs> most of the, the episodes, even if they were from a show I liked, I was like, this is not a good episode. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely the case in our next one. It's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode called Family, and it pains me how much I hate this episode because I <laughs> love Buffy. And usually I can find good stuff in there like people always complain about beer bad and i'm like i think it's fine like it's a funny 
episode. Uh, but this one I think is genuinely terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's the only Tara-focused episode where they suddenly give her this backstory that is never brought up again. <laughs> and it's this thing where her her family has this tradition of convincing women that they're going to turn into demons when they're not actually, which is like really complicated and raises a lot of questions for me. Um, and it seems like they really, uh, not the writers, but like the characters in the show really didn't think it through. Cause like Anya asked like, what type of demon, which you'd think would be like number one question. Yeah. And they've never, <laughs> never thought about this before. Um, I think they don't know demons are real, is the oh, thing. Like, yeah. I think they, like, when an actual demon is like, oh, what type of demon? They're like, a demon <laughs> from Demon Town. Yeah, um, it's nuts. And it feels like it's, I mean, it definitely is. Uh, it's supposed to be sort of like a metaphor for being LGBT. And it really bothers me that the resolution is that actually she's totally normal and nothing was going on with her because that's such a weird metaphor like at the end when her friends accept her it's like yeah your friends will accept you if you're totally normal and there's <laughs> nothing going on with you like that's not inspirational to me as an lgbt person at all <laughs> she's also still a witch <laughs> and yeah it raises a lot of questions and all of the whole Scooby gang sits around being like, we don't know anything about Tara. And then at the end, they're like, she's a family. And I'm like, where was that talk when you guys were like, I don't know a name. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been more satisfying if they were like, because Willow loves her, she's our family. Like, I would have accepted that more if it was just like, look, my friend has sex with you. And for that reason, I will fight anyone for you. Like, that would have been kind of a relatable thing. Yeah, they all went to the mat for Angel and no one liked him. I... Um, yeah, I, the, obviously the Willow and Tara storyline, like, the world, overall the world is better for it existing and it was super groundbreaking and everything, but it is interesting to sort of look at because I feel like what's interesting about it is that Buffy is really, like, kind of uncool about it <laughs> and, like, really pretty awkward. And I think that's interesting because it's a lot more realistic than the dichotomy of people, like, either immediately being like, oh, I get it and I have no questions and it's fine, or else, like, being like, I'm kicking you out of my house or whatever. Um, so, like, I like that it's more realistic, but I also, like, re-watching seasons four and five, you're like, it's kind of never resolved. She's just, like, super awkward and then they never talk about it. Right, you you imagine that like Buffy and Xander had some conversation where they're like, "Is it homophobic to try to get to know Tara? I don't want to <laughs> ask her any questions that'll make her uncomfortable. We better just stay out of this." <laughs> um. Anyway, Amy Adams in that episode, uh, she has a terrible part, uh, <laughs> but she uh, she's actually very good. I want that was the last thing I watched before this because I had obviously seen every episode of Buffy a few times and I was like I probably memorized it <laughs> but uh she's she's good she does uh, like Amy Adams thing of being like I'm kind of a girl next door and then being like but also I might <laughs> fucking kill you <laughs> I kind of remembered this episode fondly at first and I think I was just thinking of like the very very end has like a really strong like visual and out of context scene of Willow and Tara but I always for I forgot how much the lead up is just completely yeah. dreadful. 
The first scene is also Willow and Tara playing with a kitten. So, oh, like, if yeah. you just watch the first and last minute, <laughs> it's a great episode about that couple. Yeah. The lesson here is uh, shows shouldn't have any straight people because scenes with straight people are just weird. <laughs> they don't look yeah. dramatically. Uh, all right. Next up is a true classic, yeah. Cruel Intentions 2. Uh, this is an insane movie because it's... It's, like, supposed to be a prequel, but it's also, at times, a complete remake of the first one. Like, there are scenes that are line for line the exact same scene. Oh, it's a prequel. I didn't even realize that. I think they're freshmen, right? <laughs> That's why Sebastian's still oh, alive. I, no, I just thought they were younger. I thought it was an unrelated movie with the same premise and the <laughs> oh, same okay. names. So this is how they got into that situation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that might have, I, forget it. It's so weird, because it's, he, it's the same writer-director, and so he's making a parody of his <laughs> own much more liked film. Yeah. <laughs> to what end? I, I know, like, it seems like it would be a cash grab, but it clearly didn't make any money, <laughs> so it's like, I feel like just, like, some sort of, like, DVD release with bonus features would have made more money than Cruel Intentions 2 did. Yeah, I... Now I'm thinking about how every director is should be obligated to make a parody of their most <laughs> successful work. Yes. Um, Give me that Dark Knight Rises parody, Nolan. Pay yeah. the fuck up. <laughs> so, there's like a part of me that's like, it is kind of fun watching just like this weird... <laughs> dumbed down version of Cruel Intentions with like Amy Adams as Sarah Michelle Gellar and Carrie Lynn Pratt as Selma Blair uh that's it's like is an interesting experience but I also it's it's a bridge too far with how bad it is I think like even though it's very much a movie that you watch at 3 a.m. when you're super horny. I feel like even in those circumstances I'm like mm, this isn't for me you're better off Rewatching Cruel Intentions 1 or watching Cruel Intentions 3, which is more problematic, but still better. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's not good. Um, it's There are parts of it that are funny, like, uh, but I think the parts of it that are funny are just funny because you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, the, like, the ending has this wild twist where you're like, I guess that was a problem that needed to be resolved or addressed. Um, yeah, it's, you can skip it. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a bookstore called Bookstore. I think that's <laughs> where she works. I... Uh, so she had an incredible run for a while, and her next <laughs> one is an amazing episode of television, the Smallville episode Craving, where... Uh, Amy Adams, because of the media rock, which is what that show calls kryptonite, um, she is an overweight girl who suddenly loses a bunch of weight, but the side effect is that she starts eating people? She she starts sucking the fat out of people and animals. Okay. um, Because her body uh, is burning fat too quickly. What I don't understand about this episode, um, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand about this episode. First off, um, 
her dad's a farmer, and so she's um, she's made smoothies out of all of these fruits and vegetables from this farm, uh, grown at her at her house, and that's what causes it. And it's like, so no, you no one else has ever eaten any of these vegetables before. Yeah, I feel like even by superhero pseudoscience standards, the science on Smallville is really bad because like. In um in something like the Flash with the metahumans, I can sort of buy that like different people's bodies will have different reactions, and that's why they have different powers. Yeah. But like the way Meteor Rock affects people in Smallville <laughs> in vastly different ways has never made sense to me. Yeah, and also like to point out, this is season one, episode seven. Episode seven, they were already like, we got to do a fat suit episode. Yeah, just right <laughs> so out of the gate. early. There's almost no Superman in this episode. It's such a, or like Clark Kent at this point, but there's almost no Clark Kent. And there's so much focus on this sad fat girl we never see again. It's so, like, just right out of the gate, they were so mad about having to write a Superman show. I, I cannot talk about this episode without saying that one of my favorite television writers ever wrote it michael <laughs> green who wrote kings my one of my favorite tv shows a show that we absolutely would have had to watch if we picked my second choice actor sebastian stan <laughs> um he's a beautiful writer he also did american gods he did he, i think he worked on a ton of great stuff. He wrote Logan. Uh, he's just, this is his episode. He's like, gotta, we gotta talk about eating disorders. <laughs> it's the kill I'm gonna diet. There's a scene in Kings where um, the the king, Silas, uh, hits a deer with his car, and it's like one of my favorite moments in television because it's very, it's set up to be like the, a sacrifice, like, God sending a, him a blood sacrifice so that another character can live by him killing this deer. It it works in context in the whole fucking biblical show. But there is a scene just like it in Cravings, <laughs> and I'm so mad about it because it was written beforehand, and you're like, it's like, oh, this deer was sent to me so that it can be sacrificed so I can suck the fat out of its body <laughs> with my mutant powers. I'm very upset. Um, Amy Adams does a girl next door and a sexy vixen in this episode. <laughs> yeah. She really plays the gambit here. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe even watch this one for the camp value. <laughs> yeah. It, you use your discretion about yeah, how yeah, much yeah. you want to see a maybe the worst episode. <laughs> I think it, I think it's so bad it cycled back for me yeah. personally. That's but... kind of how I feel about this like whole run. <laughs> Cruel Intentions too. Like yeah, obviously you have to see it. I feel like a lot of these things are stuff where it's like you shouldn't watch it, but you should have watched it. <laughs> yeah, it should be in your mind for some reason. Yeah, you should be familiar with everything we're talking about. But if you're not, forget about it forever. <laughs> Um, next up is a movie called The Slaughter Rule, uh, starring Ryan Gosling as a sad guy in Montana. I think I've said on this podcast that, uh, small town slice of life movies should be illegal, <laughs> and I stand by that. This is just so, just him being sad in a small town, uh, and he has, like, an 
an older man friend who really wants to have sex with him and all their scenes are super weird and also uh his love interest is Clea Duval who I do not believe wants to have sex with him <laughs> like when they kiss I'm I'm just like she is not enjoying this at all there are so few people in this world who I would not believe being attracted to Ryan Gosling but uh yeah it's just like I feel like I don't even like the good version of this movie and this is a terrible execution of it I uh, didn't have time to see it. Uh, yeah. It, <laughs> and I won't. <laughs> yeah. It committed the sins of, the the triple sins of being hella boring, having very little Amy Adams, and only being available on iTunes. <laughs> uh, next up is a movie called Pumpkin, which is a uh, sort of a college sorority movie about um, Rose McGowan, not Rose McGowan, sorry, Christina Ricci is this, a uh, very uptight sorority girl who's had this perfect rich girl life and then she uh meets a guy with a um uh a mental illness and falls in love with him and suddenly things change and like she blatantly for for the first time there's like a scene where she's like bad things happen to people why does that happen and uh i, th I think this movie pulls it off just because the characters are so young that you can buy uh, her just suddenly being like, hey, I just realized some people have hard lives. And the the main actors actually have a lot of chemistry, which I think helped a lot. Um, so it's like, it, it's a very uh, kind of like shaky movie. The like the plot kind of meanders a lot, but I thought it was interesting and really funny and very earnest. So uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I also could not find it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's on this uh, janky streaming service called Tubi TV, which is legal, but feels like it should be. Uh, I watch a lot of stuff on there, and every time I'm like, uh, this is going to be the day Tubi TV is shut down. <laughs> um, I guess I have to introduce this one because oh, it has yes, my name yeah. in it. Um, this one's called Serving Sarah. Uh, Sarah is spelled correctly the <laughs> way I spell it, um, which endeared it to me. And that's uh, pretty much all I have to say on it. <laughs> uh, it stars Matthew Perry and Elizabeth Hurley, and he needs to serve her divorce papers um, in New York because divorce laws in New York and Texas are different, and she's like, I'll, I will give you literally one million dollars if you serve my husband instead because I fucking hate him. And, and then they fall in love into that scheme. It's not a great love story. Um, I kind of like both of them. I like Elizabeth Hurley and I kind of like Matthew Perry. So sometimes the chemistry works, but the movie does not help them. It's <laughs> Amy Adams plays uh, Elizabeth Hurley's trophy wife, which is interesting. <laughs> Again, Amy Adams is very beautiful, but it did still surprise me how much she used to be like, trophy wife, hot girl, <laughs> Megan Fox, or just very confusing to me. <laughs> I feel like we should be clear that she's Bruce Campbell's trophy wife. If yes. she was Elizabeth Hurley's trophy wife, that would be automatically a better movie. That would be so great. Uh, that I would believe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like movies and TV like do a thing of overestimating how interesting those, like, people who serve papers are like yeah. pineapple express has like a really long sequence uh -uh. establishing that and i'm always kind of like okay i get it like they serve papers um but i guess one of these days there'll be a comedy that hits it out of the park uh, yeah i thought 
this setup sort of had potential, but it definitely just like goes through the rom-com beats where it's like they hate each other, but now he saw her naked and realized she's hot. And now they are willing to be together for reasons we never really saw. Um, and yeah, just like it was never, it like was bearable, but like never really funny enough to be worth it. Um, and yeah, the- it was so of its time. I don't oh, even I know, know what year it came yeah. out, but I was like, this has all the problems of whatever year this came out. Yeah, it's Matthew Perry, Elizabeth Hurley, and Bernie Mac, which you're like immediately like, there was one year in history where this movie would be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted, I feel like they could have gotten Matthew Perry out of there and made the whole thing be about this like, gold digging Elizabeth Hurley, Bruce Campbell, Amy Adams love triangle. Like that could be like super hot and super like gossip girly. Terry uh, Crews shows up as Bruce Campbell's enforcer. And every time he shows up, characters are like, oh shit, he's here. And then he has nothing to do. <laughs> and I, I very much wish that we could have just been watching those four characters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, um, also, uh, I remember being homophobic but maybe i'm just assuming every movie matthew perry made in the <laughs> 90s or 2000s was pretty homophobic uh, yeah i can't remember but i'm sure there's I, something i was like it was it was something and i'm pretty sure that thing was homophobic but it might have been racist instead <laughs> it was hard call hard call uh next up is a westering episode called 20 hours in america part one uh i remember being pretty all in on West Wing and I still like when I think about just like the characters as characters I'm like oh yeah that's great but I feel like every time I sit down to actually watch an episode it kind of leaves me cold I feel like West Wing was sort of like good when it aired and we can all just like leave it in the past what did you think this was the first episode I'd ever seen wow. of West Wing <laughs> Um, I very much enjoyed the scene where teens bullied them for not understanding daylight savings time. Yes. <laughs> um, but I had, I, here's the thing. I've seen, um, Sports Night and the Newsroom, and I feel like I've done everything I need to to support, uh, <laughs> Aaron Sorkin. Um, it was enjoyable, and I'm sure that if I had gotten in on it at the right time, I would have liked it. Yeah. Uh, Amy Adams plays... Very much a girl next door. She's she plays a smart farm girl, <laughs> and uh, they make comments about her appearance. That's <laughs> her character because it's an Aaron Sorkin thing. She has a speech, and then guys talk about if she's hot. <laughs> uh, yeah, the highlight of this is the the guy from the newsroom. What's his name? His, I think his initials are MM. Um, I can't believe I can't remember it. Um, Would, uh, I'm looking up the Belko experiment because nah. that's the easiest way for me to remember this guy's name. Oh, John, sorry, John Gallagher Jr. Um, I don't know oh, why yeah. I thought his initials were that. Okay, um, but John Gallagher Jr. shows up and he's such a baby and he's dressed <gasps> so 2004. Yes. <laughs> so I would say it's worth it for that because he's so cute and Aww. precious and he just he looks like he's in the movie Grind. It's so good. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I did not find it very worth watching. I was very relieved that if I was going to watch the first episode of something, it was a season premiere and also a part one. Because if she had been in part two, I would have been completely lost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up is Catch Me If You Can. 
this is uh i think like one of the most shallow movies ever made <laughs> and at first i really enjoyed that i was like i like that it's just about how leonardo dicaprio is fun and cool and tom hanks is a nerd and therefore <laughs> leonardo dicaprio can do whatever he wants um like i found that really charming and on rewatch i was like i don't know why i don't like this movie it's really fun and then the last like 50 minutes or so just go on and on it's like Tom Hanks catches him great and then there's like what should be an epilogue is like a huge chunk of the movie and I was just kind of like either have more to say or be more concise uh so I'm sort of mixed on this but um it's it's fun and uh Amy Adams is very cute in it uh as his wife um so I don't know what did you think uh, I like it a lot, but you you are completely right that it's like it's for some reason a biopic of the entirety of his first thirty years, and they easily could have just focused on his heist or his capture or his first case once he's got yeah, in the FBI. They could have picked any focus, and they refused to. At the very <laughs> very end, uh, he becomes an. A, like advisor for the FBI with Tom Hanks as his keeper so it's just white collar yeah um and like when it got to that part I was like oh the last minute should be the first minute yeah <laughs> the first two hours should be the first like three minutes yeah maybe like a few flashbacks to them hunting each other or yeah something, but yeah there could have just been like a part like while they're on the case where they're like isn't it funny that you used to hate me yeah, <laughs> so, um. yeah. Uh, I'd say it's a watch you're not going to regret watching, even though it's long, you're not going to regret watching Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks do the thing. Uh, all the actors are good. They make some very weird choices. This is this is something that bothers me. <laughs> In Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing a 16 to 19 year old in this film. And he has sex with so many adult women because his whole scam is he's pretending to be a pilot or pretending to be a doctor or pretending to be, pretending to be an adult with adult documentation and adult bank accounts. So these women don't know that they're having sex with a teenager, but the movie is very much presenting that as like a nice work if you can get it, huh? Thing where he's like, look at this look at this playboy and it's like this is a crime yeah. I, we are watching a crime and you do not need to present it as very fun and sexy yeah in addition also he, he robs a prostitute which i wasn't a fan of. oh yeah me too um in addition to uh, your complaint about uh that not being fun i also found it not believable and i like this is a true story but i don't know how much they like added the sex yeah, in definitely he was lying about how many chicks he banged yeah. uh. <laughs> i like it felt like uh since it was written by a straight guy he was like i know i would have sex with a 16 year old if they told me they were 25 and i was like ah. like i know there are women who do that but i feel like those women know yeah <laughs> uh, it's only straight men who are like she seemed 25 to yeah. me like y you would know yeah, like, they, they say in the movie that he looks older. There's, like, a scene in his high school where he's mistaken by a teacher. But even just, like, the fact that those women are having sex with him and they're like, obviously he's a grown man who knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the fantasy. <laughs> the, like, the casting definitely, I feel like, didn't go with the thing of people always thinking he was older. I feel like they could have at least, like, given him a beard or something. Yeah. But it's just, like, skinny, pretty little Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> 
but yeah o- overall uh, a fun movie uh not like this like next movie the last run the last run is a movie starring uh fred savage so i was really excited i was like fred savage isn't in that much stuff it's cool that he stars in something and it was just the most depressing cruel cynical movie imaginable it starts with him uh finding out his girlfriend cheated on him i feel like a lot of male comedies have that setup where it's, it's like this fantasy where they're like i wish a woman would cheat on me because then i could just be a horrible person to all women everywhere <laughs> like that is not how that works um so he just starts uh first he starts lying to supermodels to get him to have sex with them and then it gets like even darker and really weird where he's just like constantly he's like constantly hiring sex workers and like selling all of his possessions so we always see him in this completely empty apartment um where he all he does is like work out and have sex and it's i like the first half is like bad wedding crashers and then the second half is like bad american psycho yeah just a weird experience it's very very gross and like i said uh his friend in it is only marrying amy adams for the money which is so weird (laughs) it's just awful and sexist on every level there's a really gross scene with like a a trans sex worker where he's disgusted and then she even though she already has the money like forces sex on him and it like one it's played for laughs and two it's like that wouldn't happen. She has the money. She could just leave. Like, why would she be like, no, we have to have sex now. Um, and it just like, I feel like is this gross male thing they have where they're like, well, if guys have sex with trans women, it must be because they force them. Um, it's just truly a terrible movie that is offensive on all levels. And I thought for sure it would get my black ball, but then there was another movie that I hated Eddie even more. Uh, very unfortunate. Uh, I didn't see it, but I am willing to marry Amy Adams for the money. Yeah. <laughs> <Same>. Impressed. <laughs> uh, what do we got now? Uh, next up is a movie called Junebug. Oh. This was her big, her big breakout role. Um, you know, when I said... I didn't like the slaughter rule. I did say that I didn't like, that I don't even like the good version of that movie, which is pretty much Junebug. Yeah. It's like as good as a small town slice of life movie can be. And I, I don't care for Such it. Such a slog. Uh, yeah, like, even though all the actors in it are very good, there's something about this style that just makes me feel like I'm watching community theater. I just... I, the, the main guy in it, the, the not Ben McKenzie guy, <laughs> I would never say anything bad under any circumstances about Ben McKenzie, but <laughs> the, like, uh, the husband, the, like, city guy who's, who comes back home, I did not care for him. Mm-hmm. He's had no charisma and everyone else in that movie was doing great and i was like this is your lead yeah <laughs> um yeah it's like hope he's not listening <laughs> to um, bad melby i don't blame you uh <laughs> yeah yeah i think if you're if you are really super into amy adams and want to get a feel for her career this is an important one to watch because it was her huge 
breakout movie that made everyone realize how good she is. But even from the Amy Adams perspective at this point, I'm like, she's been good in so many things. (laughs) I don't, I just don't feel like anyone needs to watch Junebug at this point. Yeah, it's, it's a waste of time. Um, It's boring. And it does that thing indie movies do where they're like, if there's just a ton of sex themes, you'll think it's interesting or even sexy honestly it's they're just happening randomly oh yeah I, yeah it's that classic uh that like oscar bait movie thing of having like a lot of sex and it's all just like totally neutral and like you might as well be watching paint dry literally like, there's this sport this and on the road both have scenes where people are like getting fingered during a normal drive <laughs> it's like we're still watching someone drive and that's the scene. Uh, um, it's. I also resent Junebug for being a movie where Ben McKenzie and Amy Adams are married, and it's not a good marriage, and also it's not a great film. But he's he's not a great husband. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of uh, pairings in this filmography mm-hmm. that I was like, these guys need a do-over to make an <laughs> yeah. actual sexy movie. Uh, next up is... Uh, several King of the Hill episodes, Cheer Factor, Talking Shop, and My Hair Lady. I think this, since this came out um, right, like right at the same time as Junebug, which was her breakout, it's interesting because uh, it's not like a guest spot or anything. She just went in and did a little voice work. So there's just random lines that are Amy Adams in King of the Hill. Yeah, like, um... I watched Chew Factor and My Hair Lady, and both of those had, like, a, there was a Chew captain that got brought in, or that was, like, the head of the, the the owner of this hair salon, and so, like, when those characters were walking up, I'm like, this is Amy Adams, and then they weren't, and Amy Adams was just a person who showed up in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I, an interesting thing about these, all these early things uh, that I really enjoy is there's so many people she was, like, second fiddle to that you're like oh wow like Nicholas Brendan is the lead in this and not Amy Adams or like like in the King of the Hill episodes it's like yeah Laura Prepon is the big guest star and then Amy Adams is just also in it um which is like cool to watch it's like be nice to everybody on set Matthew Perry yeah that's what I love about TV is you're like we don't let's let's see where we stand in five years um so Uh, Like I said, I do feel like Amy Adams is a little bit cursed because I've been watching a lot of King of the Hill since it just came to Hulu. And, like, uh, these episodes, I think, like, by general comedy standards are good. Like, they're definitely better than most Family Guy or whatever. But by King of the Hill standards, they're definitely not the best episodes. So because of that and because, like I said, she, like, just does some random voice work, I wouldn't say they're, like, it's, like, worth seeking out these specific episodes uh but definitely watch king of the hill it's an amazing show yeah definitely not with it for amy adams but watch him if you want (laughs) (laughs) oh um i think this helped me figure out the the whole hot girl thing where i think she has like a hot girl voice oh okay her her playing a sexy lady who comes into the hair salon i was like oh that's it she's got the voice again she is obviously beautiful but like (laughs) Every actress in Hollywood is very right, beautiful, yeah. so it's confusing to me to figure out who's getting girl next door and who's getting hot girl when those. <laughs> right, yeah. I also feel like a lot of um, a lot of who gets cast as a super hot girl is like 
determined by their body, which we don't see that much of. Yeah. <laughs> like, we see a lot of people from the shoulders up. Uh-huh. Uh, next up is the movie The Wedding Date. Uh, when this movie started, this is uh, the one where uh, Deborah Messing doesn't have a date for her sister's wedding and she's really embarrassed by it, so she hires a sex worker to pose as her date. And the the thing that impressed me when this movie started is that it just jumps into, like, we're on the plane on the way to my sister's wedding and I've already hired you. And, like, I enjoyed that because I thought a huge chunk of the movie would be her reaching this decision and being like, should I do it? Is that insane? (laughs) So, like, I liked that it just dove in. And then the movie proceeded to, like, not use its runtime wisely at any point after that. And it just uh, never convincingly showed why they would like each other. I was really exhausted by them. There's this plot point where um, she gets super drunk and she asks if, they had sex because she doesn't remember and he lies to her and says yes and then I don't know if he ever tells her the truth no he says no but I think that they did I think that's uh, the, I think it was oh, the okay. I'm I'm not sure <laughs> I because I feel like that's what I expected and then instead he like let her believe they had sex but I don't know I guess the fact no, no, that because no, no, they, they, they fight over um uh, he find he finds money in a like just like wad of money in her bag and is like offended that she was going to pay him a sex worker to have sex and he's like oh well good thing that we didn't so that you didn't have to pay me like some sort of dirty prostitute or whatever his weird mindset <laughs> in this movie is he's the worst sex worker because he falls in love with her immediately like. It takes place over a weekend, and, like, end of day one, he is in love with her. And she is not particularly nice to him. Like, I don't... I don't blame her. She's in a stressful situation, but she... The movie at no point is, like, Hughes, what's endearing about her? Hughes, why he loves her. Hughes, why anyone would love her. They just don't have time for that. I think they're so concerned with explaining why someone would deign to fall in <laughs> love with a sex worker that they spend all this time making sure that we know that he's great and they're like no time on her <laughs> yeah it's there's just so many arguments where I was like you're both wrong and I'm not even following like what your <laughs> argument is and there's this whole subplot where she finds out that her sister Amy Adams the one who's getting married was sleeping with her ex behind the groom's back this whole time and then at the end, it shows Amy Adams marrying uh, the groom because he's forgiven her, and we're just supposed to like feel like that's a happy ending. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't feel like this was resolved at all. Uh, I'm not on board with any of this. Um, it's like a thing where like he knew she had cheated, but she didn't tell him with who. It was very weird. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is just it's uncomfortable. There, it's one of those rom-coms that just, like, forgets to have jokes. Uh, it's really just not a good experience. Yeah, I got the distinct impression that there was, like, a version of that movie that got people interested, and then by the time it became a movie that um, could be aired in the theaters, mm-hmm. um, all of the good bits were gone. Because they kept, like, starting to do something really dirty and then being like, well, we gotta get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> 
It'd be like a sexy sculpture in the background, and it'd be like, guys, this is exhausting. Yeah. Either do a sex comedy or do a good comedy, but you have to at least do one. <laughs> yeah, it was coming from the perspective of like, obviously everyone in the audience is going to be completely repulsed by the idea yeah. of sex work, so we have to really show them how like fine and like sanitized it actually is, and it's like, that's not fun or entertaining. <laughs> Such a slam dunk of a premise. I would like a remake of The Wedding Date. Same cast, just a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, next is a movie called Standing Still, uh, which I was really excited about because it's a real just who's who of like late 90s, early thousands people. It's got like Mina Suvari and Ethan Embry and Pyro from X-Men and just yeah. all the actors that I enjoy and that I think could have had great careers. Um, and uh, But it is just the most boring. There's, there's no memorable jokes or conflicts or anything from it. The only thing I really remember from it is that Lauren German and Mina Suvari get together. And the only reason I remember that is because of how much I was like, I can't believe that I'm watching Lauren German and Mina Suvari have sex. <laughs> and it's so fucking boring. This is just truly, truly an uninteresting movie. How dare they? Not only did I not see this movie, I didn't even realize I needed Like, it, I, it wasn't on my list of movies to hunt down. Yeah, That's how boring it was yeah, it, that I my eyes glazed over it on the list. Yeah, I feel like when you name a movie standing still, you're like, I don't, no one really needs to watch this one. It'll just sit in the video store for a few years. Uh, next is her arc on The Office, uh, Hot Girl, The Fire, and Booze Cruise. Uh, I definitely loved The Office, was very on board with like, yes, it's one of the best sitcoms ever written, and um, on, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it on rewatch, and honestly on rewatch it left me a little cold. I, I wasn't laughing that much. Uh, what, what did, how did you feel? Um, I think I had not seen season one of The Office. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I saw the pilot, and then I think I just... Um, just got it in season two um and never realized that i was supposed to have gone back i was um hot girl is the season one finale of the office and it's all about amy adams guest character which is very impressive because uh, i feel like there's one an alternate universe where the office is canceled and becomes kind of a cult hit because of the british series <laughs> and it's like a big deal that Amy Adams is in the fa series finale of The Office. Um, and I also feel like there's an alternate universe where Amy Adams is a regular on The Office. Because <laughs> it's clear that they like her and wanted to, like, keep her around. Yeah. Um, I was very intrigued by that. Uh, the episodes were fun. I, I like The Fire. I like Booze Cruise. Um, Hago was not a great episode. <laughs> yeah. I think... I liked the... Not her fault. <laughs> I liked the uh, Michael and Ryan plot in The Fire a lot. Yeah. I think, like, the... Watching it for Amy Adams, I was m really bothered by the whole thing of, like, when, um, when Pam's listing her Desert Island movies and she says Legally Blonde and he immediately corrects her and, like, is like, it's not guilty pleasure movies. Which... I'm not a fucking Desert Island. Yeah. I want to feel good. I know. <laughs> I hate that Desert 
Island, in his mind, implies, like, great films. Like, you want to spend all of your, like, hours while you're dehydrated and <laughs> wasting away being like, wow, I really appreciate how artful that shot in The Godfather was. <laughs> um, and then it just, like, feels really condescending not just of Jim but like of the show when Amy Adams shows up and immediately says Legally Blonde and that's like a Jim Pam moment which I guess is like they they deserve each other that yeah. Pam's immediately like oh not uh not Legally Blonde um but yeah that <laughs> fucking bothered me I feel like uh Jim and Pam was like good at the time and now in like a post like Ben Leslie, Jake Amy, <laughs> Jonah Amy world. It's like, well, we don't need Jim Pam yeah. anymore. In our respect, Jim's fine. I like him. I The thing I like about the Jim Pam love story is just how much they like each other. Right. <laughs> but as romantic leads, they're both just kind of fine. It's mostly just, it's them together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also hate the, the Legally Blonde disc because... Uh, so I feel good. they're it's a good movie. Yeah, and also like I feel like their Desert Island choices. I don't remember exactly what they had, but I feel like they had stuff like Tootsie that it's like okay, so you're allowing dumb comedies mm. as long as it's like Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, you should watch the first few seasons of The Office. It's an important show for comedy. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would, I well, if you're an Amy Adams fan, I would start at hot girl because it's the season one finale but you really can start first episode of season two which is great the dundies is a great episode uh start in season two get out whenever you're not feeling it anymore <laughs> in the office because it doesn't get better once oh. you stopped feeling you stop <laughs> feeling it your mileage will vary on where that point is but it once you hit it it's not going to go up <laughs> yeah. all right next up is talladega nights uh so good yes this is one where I'm so glad I rewatched it because I remembered, I definitely remembered liking it a lot. Like, I've talked about how good Talladega Nights is for years, but then rewatching it, I was like, this is so great. And I feel like that never happens. Like, it's usually. Firing on all cylinders. Yeah, usually, especially with comedies, when I revisit it, I'm like, oh. But this one, like, every few minutes, I was like, that might be my favorite joke. Like, I feel like I kept, like, pausing to, like, tweet stuff. Because I was like, I cannot believe how good this movie is. It's so funny. It's Will Ferrell and John C. Riley both just give the performance of their careers yeah. in this movie. And it's like, it's pretty subversive, which I like. Because um, a lot of a lot of dumb dude comedies will like have a gay character to like make fun of them, and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character in this movie, they get away with being like the joke is him and his husband are deeply in love and make out, and you're like glad they pulled that over on Middle America. <laughs> yeah, it's I kind of miss like uh, I miss like thousands comedy gay representation because I feel like starting like in 2010 a lot of it like first off they just never have gay people but I feel like when they do they're like we're gonna mention he's gay but we won't give him any qualities because what if that's offensive right they're, they're so worried about hand wringing and Talladega, Talladega Nights does such a good job of like this dude's super weird um, and in ways that threaten the typical American idea of masculinity, but 
they're fine and it's the american idea of masculinity that's silly like yeah. it, they're very yeah. good at I doing that like, line where it's like we want to train dogs to play beethoven or some bullshit yes. like that and it's like that's not a real stereotype yeah. and it's very funny stuff about like this type of masculinity is so good because it's like um like they're offended by gay guys but they're also offended by like crepes yeah <laughs> like yeah like of course they're weird about it um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's the crepe scene. So I'm just thinking about it when it's like, say, hey, say you, uh, say you love crepes. Never. You know, actually I've been thinking about it and they're just like tiny pancakes. Oh, those are so, we're getting crepes after this. We're getting crepes. Yeah. All the, all the jokes with the Sasha Baron Cohen character are so great. Like when he's like driving the car and he's like reading Nietzsche. <laughs> so good. Um, and uh, what's it? Oh yeah, I love the I love comedies that sort of that it's just like such a like strong, coherent thing where it just like takes place in sort of like an alternate <laughs> heightened cartoon universe, but like everyone is on the same page about like the rules of this world, yeah. so it never feels like they're like doing random shit. It's just like this very clear, distinct thing, um, and just like everyone in it works so well like there were supporting characters i hadn't remembered like gren grenberg and molly shannon they're like oh, couple is so, so good <laughs> um yeah i truly just can't recommend this enough i feel like uh at the time it really didn't hit it, it like made a lot of money but culturally i don't think it hit as hard as like super bad or Anch anchorman but i feel like my prediction is that in the future it will be remembered better than those movies because it is just really really strong <laughs> history will validate talented good night yes we didn't even have amy adams in it oh uh. yeah. um yes yeah, she uh like she has a decent part um i think if this was uh a will ferrell or a john c Riley episode then this would for sure get my gold star uh there's not quite enough amy adams for me to be like this is the best amy adams movie um but she's definitely good in it and it's funny like she has this like big dramatic monologue to him where it feels like the joke is that it's like amazing Amy Adams in this dumb movie, but like <laughs> at the time that like wasn't funny. Yeah, they like they knew that on rewatch it would be amazing that Amy Adams agreed to do this film. <laughs> yeah. Um oh and I I guess just like on the note of Amy Adams being in it, uh, uh I would say like as far as comedies go, it's like better at not being sexist than a lot of them um they have like decent parts i liked the what i liked about the wife character the leslie bibb character who's with ricky bobby and then with cal is that like i didn't feel like the movie judged her that much it was like yeah she wants to be with the richest guy available like and i was like yeah i understand that perspective i also want to be with the richest guy available and it didn't do the thing of being like uh for the crime of seducing this guy and him getting to have sex with her we're gonna like throw her in a dumpster or whatever she just kind of like goes on with right. her life with him caring way more about john c Riley than he does about her or... yeah she they're like yeah you're doing what you're doing we're doing what i do <laughs> yeah. i like i felt like the joke instead of i feel like in a lot of movies it would be that she's evil and in this it's more just like she and ricky bobby are both so unimportant to each other it's just like he's rich and she's hot so i guess we have to get married next up is a short film that's on youtube called pennies where 
Amy Adams is a waitress who's just having a heck of a time. Yeah. <laughs> and it uh, it's just uh, not a legit short film. It's, it doesn't feel professional. Um, the description on YouTube said that her brother wrote it or something. Aww. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you gotta do stuff because your sibling needs a favor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so late in her career for him to be asking for this favor. <laughs> it feels like a... Right before the Oscars on Junebug comes out favor, and now he's like, mm, "Let's let's see Talladega Nights first. <laughs> yeah, it, it bet like he started bugging her around the time she got like the wedding date, and this was when she was finally like, "Okay, I have a weekend." For you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just not a real short film, and you you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> it, this is. It's like one of those things where I'm like, I'm proud of this for making the IMDb page. Yeah. Um, it's a good senior project. <laughs> yeah. uh, next up is a movie called Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, which is a movie I have for some reason voluntarily watched several times. <laughs> and it really sucks. It's bad. Uh, when I tell that to people, everyone has the same reaction. They're like so offended that I say it sucks. And then they're like, what about the opening scene? And it's like, yeah, that's a really good five minutes. <laughs> they could have easily made that a music video. <laughs> they are a band. Like, if, if Kickapoo was a song, that Kickapoo is the name of the opening song. If that was a song and music video, it would easily be one of my favorite music videos of all time. But then there's 90 more minutes after that that are just like the most lazy stoner comedy imaginable. And it's it's like cool that Paul F. Tompkins shows up and plays Satan. And like most of the musical numbers are good, even though they're not as good as Kickapoo. But it's just like. It's so lazy and it's really frustrating because you know they could have made a really good movie and when you watch that opening number you imagine like a real rock opera and instead it's just like this lazy thing where the musical numbers are very haphazard and there's no story and it's just a, a huge disappointment because I know Tenacious D could have definitely made an amazing movie if they tried. And there's also a weird scene with Amy Poehler where the whole joke is that her husband abuses her um so yeah it's just uh I like almost like I feel weird saying don't watch it because I have voluntarily watched it <laughs> I think at least like five times but at this point I'm prepared to say it sucks you can easily just on YouTube type in Tenacious D Kickapoo and watch that amazing opening number and not borrow with bother with the movie especially because for our purposes uh she's she's playing hot girl and I watched the whole movie and didn't spot her at any point i think she's in like a crowd scene so yeah please don't watch tenacious d in the make of destiny uh speaking of movies you should not watch uh the this next was so bad yeah i i don't even want to say the name for fear that i will embarrass the lovely uh lake bell uh this is a little movie called the x which is uh, the recipient of my black ball. <laughs> I feel bad because uh, when you were asking me what else you should watch, I was like, this is her worst movie. And you were like, if it's the very worst one, I gotta watch it. And I was like, ah, oh, dragging her down with me. No, I mean, I'm glad I watched it because if I had said another movie was the worst <laughs> one and this was out there, I'd be wrong. <laughs> and I'd embarrass myself in front of everyone. <laughs> 
this starts out with uh, they spend so long on the setup of this, and the setup is just that they um, they live in New York, and they move to Ohio um, so that he can get a job with a father because they just had a baby, and they spend like 15, 20 minutes on just establishing why he doesn't have a job in yeah. New York. <laughs> he's so broke. He's like like a fry cook or something, right? Yeah, he's, he's just a cook. He, yeah, he's something He's something that, like, clearly would not have money in New York, and especially when he just had a baby. And then, so, they're, like, establishing how dire their situation is, and it's like, okay, sure, that's sympathetic, New York is expensive. And then out of nowhere, they're like, I guess now that we've hit rock bottom, you're gonna have to take a job at my dad's advertising firm. I just, like, got so mad <laughs> that that's what this movie think, like, desperate measures are is like getting amazing cushy nepotism yeah they're 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 like driving and they're looking around the suburbs and they're like oh the suburbs and then they pull up to a beautiful house yeah (laughs) and there's like a joke about like oh your parents decorated for Mm -hmm. us but it's like it's fine and also now you don't have to buy furniture (laughs) and you're broke yeah (laughs) and also like I've worked in advertising, and it is an actual skill. Like, it's this isn't, like, a random desk job. Like, I have a writing degree, which is why I worked in advertising. I'm just like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, right, a lot of the conflict is that he's not very good at this job, and he's like, oh, why is this so frustrating? And it's like, because you've got a job you're not qualified for. And, is, yeah, he's being sabotaged by someone at this company, and he need not be sabotaged. Yeah. He could just himself not be very good at this, because he isn't good at it. Yeah, so it starts <laughs> off just like a regular, like, bad, out-of-touch movie about yuppies, which is like, that's terrible, but whatever. And then things take a turn. Yes. <laughs> and then the turn. Uh... <laughs> so they introduce this character, played by Jason Bateman, who's a guy in a wheelchair who knew Lake Bell in uh, high school and has a huge crush on her. And so he starts, uh, like you said, sabotaging him. And this, uh, like, setup, this is probably one of my favorite tropes when it's done well where, like, someone is, like, made out to, like, look like they're crazy or incompetent um, and you know the other characters don't see what's happening like I think that's a really fun thing when it's pulled off but when you're watching this it's like Jason Bateman didn't cause any of this stuff like Zach Braff is just like actually an asshole yeah like there's nothing no there's nothing a saboteur could do that would make him like yell at his wife yeah (laughs) and he like gets his father-in-law fired from his own company well, bearing the lead on this, where Jason Bateman is in a wheelchair and Zach Braff is convinced that he doesn't need it, and he turns out to be right. Yeah, that's how many problems there are with this movie. Is I'm like, okay, let me go through all the times I was like, this is a fundamentally terrible idea. Um, so yeah, he becomes convinced that Jason Bateman is faking being in a wheelchair, and his. The way he proves it is to push him down the stairs, which isn't how it works. Like, anyone, if they're pushed (laughs) down the stairs, would not catch themselves Mm. because they were pushed down the (laughs) stairs. That's not a thing that shows whether you're disabled or not. Um, uh, So then, yeah, he he looks crazy because he did that, but then it's revealed to be true. And uh, so 
Jason Bateman explains, like, yeah, I started faking this a while ago to, like, get whatever I want and have everyone, like, not understand what I'm doing and think I must be harmless. And it's just, like, the worst trope. I feel like, um, I feel like when I complain, this, there's this thing, this happens with almost uh, every group, whether it's, like, disabled people or, like, it happens a lot in, like, transgender stuff or for, like, stuff like autism and stuff like that, um, where people will be like, oh, I don't hate that group. I just don't like people who are faking it. And that's, like, a way that all this harmful stuff gets spread when it's like, no, you just hate people in that group because, like, I feel like this movie feels like it's getting away with all this stuff because it's like, well, Jason Bateman isn't really in a wheelchair, but it's like, yeah, but you're still saying that, like, his life is easier now and, like, no one calls him out on being a terrible person, which is not what yeah. happens when you're in a wheelchair. And at the end, he breaks both his legs and so he, like, suddenly is experiencing that it's hard to get around in a wheelchair, but it's like, but if he's committed... He started doing this in high school. <laughs> he's committed his entire life to living in a wheelchair, like, regardless of whether or not he's physically paralyzed. Like, his legs would be atrophied, and he would very much be aware of how difficult it is to get around in a wheelchair and have people treat you differently if you're in a... Like, it's... <laughs> For some reason, by him knowing in his heart of hearts that he's not paralyzed, none of the problems exist for him. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, uh... They, um. all, they also just, like, do this thing where, like, they there keeps being jokes about, like, uh, Jason Bateman has, like, a big penis, or, like, he's getting a lot of, getting a lot of chicks who's, like, great and bad, and it's always treated as, like, one, that it's... Surprising, and two that it's um, somehow more threatening <laughs> that that you know someone in a wheelchair might have sex with your wife better than you. Because what does that say about you? And it's like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it says nothing. Yeah, just do a better job with your wife. I don't know, man. <laughs> no, this is obviously a really extreme example, but I think it is a like very common thing. It's very for, common. Yeah, yeah, comedies have like jokes about implying that like it's impossible to be mean to a disabled person no one has ever mean to them and like I sort of like get the thinking of like whenever I'm around someone who's disabled I have I like the thinking of the person coming up with these jokes is like I act super polite around disabled people and it's like yeah you act really polite when you're interacting with them for like five minutes but it's still an objective fact that they are not treated well in society. And it just makes me so mad um, that there's, and this like, I think it's true with all minorities, but I see it especially with stuff about people with disabilities is they're just such a like weird disparity of how badly they're treated and then how much media is like, you can never be mean to them. No yeah. one's ever mean to them. <laughs> Uh, like, just like, yeah. you only allowed to be mean to them systematically, <laughs> not, like, to the face. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's more common in comedies, to, or just media in general, to see, like, a person in a wheelchair who's an asshole, so the conflict is, like, damn it, they got me, and I can't be mean to them, as opposed <laughs> to just, like, a person in a wheelchair who's, like, a normal person, like, maybe an asshole sometimes, but, uh... I feel like whenever there's, like, a normal person in a wheelchair in, like, a movie, it's, like, that poor son of a bitch. Like, it's, like, 
that guy can't catch a break just him existing as yeah. a person <laughs> um so yeah it's uh it starts off just like a really um just like a really bland comedy that uh is just like this didn't need to exist and then just suddenly takes a turn where it's like you know who's had it too good for too long <laughs> truly one of the worst experiences i've had watching a movie also this is this is small potatoes compared to the rest of it but they live in manhattan and then they move to ohio and the the thing wrong with ohio is that everyone in ohio is like super new agey <laughs> and like really into like Japanese culture and and mantras and organic living and I'm like I don't think that that's the culture shift from Manhattan <laughs> to Ohio. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're the people writing this are just so insulated that they were just like what's a problem you might have? Uh people inviting you to yoga too much? That's probably it. Yeah, I feel like it was like written to be about Berkeley and then they were like we legally have to say Ohio for some reason. <laughs> Uh, I mean, anyway, Amy Adams shows up as, like, a over-eager new mom who's a little judgmental because she's into organic shit or something. I, not even a character. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do at least, like, a pretend that since she doesn't have any scenes with Jason Bateman, no one told her. <laughs> um, next up is a movie called Underdog. Uh, it's where... A CGI dog voiced by Jason Lee gets powers and has to stop uh, evil Peter Dinklage from his plan. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's very cute about this movie, uh, like the fact that down on his luck, Jim Belushi adopts Underdog. Uh, it's it's a very sweet setup, and there's stuff in it that's like such bad pseudoscience that I looped around to really enjoying it. Like Peter Dinklage. Uh, gets rid of underdog's powers by injecting him with the dna of a regular beagle <laughs> i haven't seen this movie and that's very funny <laughs> um so yeah i like there's a lot of it i really enjoy as far as like underdog <laughs> movies uh an, it's like what you would expect if it's like a cheesy underdog movie um but uh it's also like there's like annoying uh outdated stuff like i feel like right out of the gate there's like a very weird transphobic joke that i'm just like oh 2005 in other movies <laughs> yeah um uh. uh so yeah it's it's not great but i will say oh also a, a thing that's interesting about it is amy adams is the voice of his love interest so she's clearly like dog lois lane nah. um and i really <laughs> i enjoy the idea that like if you guest star on Smallville and do a good job and then play dog Lois Lane and do a good job, then you are entitled to play Lois Lane in the biggest movies in the world. I think that's very fair. Put in a tie. Yeah. Um, the one thing that's truly great about this movie is that Peter Dinklage does an amazing job. Like, obviously he's always good. He's one of, I think, the best actors alive, but he's so good in this. Like, the part is so good and so just, like, funny and deeply evil and he's his like lackey is patrick warburton so you get to see him like bossing dumb patrick warburton around um and it like made me legit mad because i was like this is exactly what i wanted from x-men days of future past <laughs> and that movie wasted villain peter dinklage but underdog did it so well um so like if 
if you like me uh <laughs> lived your whole life just wanting to see peter dinklage play a villain then you should definitely see this movie uh but other than that it's uh it's pretty whatever um all right so we are gonna take a quick break and play an ad have you ever wondered what happens in the silmarillion what does jenko jean stand for and how many people can you fit inside of one and what the gosh darn heck are the ice capades? We found out all about that shit, so you don't have to. <laughs> I'm Liam. I'm Eric. And I'm Big Papa. Nope, he's God Tom. Damn it. And we're the hosts of We Are Experts, a show where we speculate wildly about stuff we know nothing about, only to learn what we were wrong about. Doing research, learning things, making our way in the world. And only wasting your time for half of a podcast episode. Oh, welcome to We Are Experts, the world's only short comedy podcast. Every Friday on the Major Cats Network or wherever you find fine literature. Or podcasts. So in the latter half, I feel like we're getting into the portion of her filmography where she's pretty consistently just hitting it out of the park. We got a we got a lot of great movies coming up. If any of you haven't heard about Amy Adams, you should really <laughs> check this shit out. Yeah, uh, we're getting into the movies people have heard of category. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up is Enchanted, uh, which is another one that I was really glad I rewatched it because I definitely enjoyed it. And then rewatching it, I was like, I can't believe how great a movie this is. Yeah, I I remember it being like fun and cute, and so I was looking forward to it. But I thought it would be like a bit better than leap year as like a, <laughs> a thing i enjoyed a while ago and it's not like every scene in enchanted is so good <laughs> i think uh what i love about the romance in this movie uh compared to other things with similar premises is um i really it's not like one person being like you're wrong here's why you're wrong and here's why you have to change everything about yourself to the other like i felt like they really complete each other in a really great way like he's right that you should talk to the people that you <laughs> plan to spend your life with and then she's also right that you can't go into every relationship like super guarded and expecting it to fail um so they like they balance each other out i thought in a like a really good healthy way um it it was i think like a really productive uh commentary on fairy tales that like actually showed like the specific things of like here's what you should do better like getting to know each other without just sort of like cynically being like no guys love isn't real like yeah. it really just all worked together um a thing i really enjoyed is like uh scenes like uh when she when she calls to the animals but it's all like cockroaches and pigeons yeah. and they New York is disgusting yeah. but then they actually do clean the house yeah. and then like when they're in the park and she starts singing and everyone joins in and there's this huge choreographed number like those things are um fun movie things obviously mm -hmm. but i also thought it was sort of cool that it was baked into the premise that she is right a lot of the yeah. time like yeah you should believe in a more magical world and in the way she lives life, people do start singing along. That's also just like uh, the height of cinema is everyone in that dance number, and then Patrick Dempsey not in it, being like, "You, I've never heard this song before. How do you know this song?" Yeah. And I know other stuff has done that joke, but just they they do a very good yeah, job. Yeah, they with do it. this so well, and I've always strongly felt like the best parodies have to also sort of like sincerely just be an entry into the genre and i think 
that is what's so good about this movie is it has really smart stuff to say about fairy tales while also like fully being a fun magical romantic journey right like james madison's character is the dumb prince i'm i'm all in on it yeah it's like, like, when when I, that guy go for it yeah. <laughs> when idina menzel drops her whole life to go be with him i'm like that's a great choice yeah. exact same thing um and it just it does character stuff really really well like um i was prepared to hate the patrick dempsey character because i feel like you just usually hate the man in movies like this when yeah. you rewatch them when he's just sort of like yeah amy adams herself in the movie is like you only say no you're not fun to be around yeah. but he's also like acting super cynical well full disclosure being way nicer than i would ever be i would not like let this woman into my home and be like yeah use my shower and take a nap here like he's a great guy even while being like super cynical um and he's he's doing the like cynical rough stuff because he's looking out for his daughter which is a motive motivation a lot of these guys don't have mm-hmm. it's usually when like someone's been burned by love they're like so that's why you can't trust people and he's coming at it from more of a place of like i can't let someone hurt my daughter again <laughs> yeah and like similarly um the thing with him fa- hating fairy tales like there's an establishing scene where he gives her a book about uh gives his daughter yeah yeah, gives his daughter a book about famous women scientists uh and is like i know it's not the fairy tale book you wanted and i think like what's so good about this movie is that you get where every character is coming from um like you get you see both sides of everything like with that i like when dads do that kind of thing it is like super condescending and sort of like just get her the fairy tale book but then i feel like you really see how her obsession with fairy tales is kind of toxic. And, like, there's that scene where she's talking about how Idina Menzel would be her stepmom and not her mom. And you see how she has, like, such an undue amount of, like, shame about that. And it's because of how media influences her. So I thought it was it was really a smart movie with how, like, you see that he is just protecting his daughter with all this stuff. Yeah. And I... Uh, if you are listening to this because you just fucking love Amy Adams, <laughs> and you should, it's it's a great showcase for her because I think uh, I do think there are other actresses that also actresses who could have also done a good job. But she's so good at hitting the purity of Giselle, and then all but also maintaining this like this integrity and this spine to her, where even when she's like she's totally wrong because in her mind she's right, she's like no the bodes well listen to me like she's she's uh she's able to keep that character from i I think those interpretations where like the role becomes kind of like the the butt of a joke and amy adams like is like no she's a person giselle believes this and that scene where she uh she starts yelling at patrick dempsey being like all you fucking say is no 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 don't you have like just can't you give someone a chance once you are exhausting and you actually are making me feel anger for the first time and my fucking life she just she kills it man <laughs> and it's kind of the whole movie is sort of needs that one scene to work to believe that she's changed and it's so good guys rewatch enchanted it's better than you remember <laughs> yeah it's so good but it's funny uh how, uh, how does she know is just a banger that hits it out of the park yeah. and is better in the context of the movie which i feel like isn't always true a lot of songs i'm like just as happy listening to them on itunes yeah. um and uh yeah and the romance is just so good and i feel like that's 
just so rare in general and especially for a movie like this where you're just like I fully this fully sold me on how they are soulmates and should be together and will make each other's lives better and and, and even like if they don't like if this relationship only lasts a year I'm still like I'm glad that they met each other and yeah that this they, happened. they will leave that relationship better than they came in if it doesn't work out um next up is uh charlie wilson's war uh which is an aaron sorkin uh movie about how tom hanks was just this shitty horny senator who (laughs) ended up getting like a weird amount of power and i feel like uh as a kind of a satire it's like pretty basic like it's pretty much all like did you know senators uh Oh, act in their own interests and like don't care about how many people they hurt and it's like yeah I'm I'm there I'm ahead of you on this one um but I did think it was a really enjoyable watch uh I I like what a horny movie it is like I wasn't (laughs) expecting that from like a historical Oscar bait movie um but like uh Julia Roberts who like I already knew she was a beautiful woman but like every time I see her in this I saw her in this movie I was like holy shit I cannot (laughs) believe how hot Julia Roberts is um and I think like uh it's really fun to see Tom Hanks horny like I feel like that's what makes this movie work if it was like Leonardo DiCaprio I would be like oh I don't care about him trying to fuck women at all yeah I think like the the idea of this movie is um this guy's a horn dog, but then he finds out about a real world problem and he's like, oh, I am one of the 20 people who could do something about a real world problem, so I better get on that. And he does, and you and it's like, it's a twist that he's got a heart, but like, because it's Tom Hanks, you like, you know he has a heart, and the twist is that he's a horn dog. He's like, <laughs> um, this is a movie that I saw when it like came out, and I liked it, and then I rewatched it and I did not care for it very much. <laughs> Um, so I think it's a, it's a one watcher, you know? Yeah. Um, Just don't think about it. Yeah, that's definitely how I felt. I was like, I enjoy this on an incredibly shallow level. And like, I didn't, I didn't know about any of this like history. So I wasn't sure like how accurate the movie was and like, if I should be mad at it being told from this perspective and like that kind of stuff. Um, so I was like, mostly like this for me, and I think in general, could have just as easily been a Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts rom-com and been just as good. We didn't need, like, a really any of Aaron Sorkin's satirical voice. Really did not, no. <laughs> uh, and it's, Aaron Sorkin's got some stuff with women. Uh, and yeah. Amy Adams plays Tom Hanks' assistant, and there's, like, a scene. She does almost nothing in this movie. So, again, if you're watching just for the Amy Adams, skip it. Yeah. Uh, if you love Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts, go for it. Uh, <laughs> your call. Um, but she does basically, uh, Amy Adams is basically nothing. And then there's a scene where I remember this speech being her telling someone else about, like, this is why I admire him. And in the reality of it is it's him telling her about why he's in politics. And just all she does is, like, look <laughs> adoringly on at him and being like, go on. And it's... For some reason, I find that story much skeezier being him just talking himself up. Yeah, especially since she's not new at being his assistant. So you're like, does he just say this every couple months? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, the the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is not a great movie, but I did fully enjoy seeing Tom Hanks in a hot tub. No, no, I, I think it's worth watching once. It's just like, 
I rewatched it, and because I was rewatching it, I was thinking about it, and it's not a movie you think about. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie you put on because you're doing like chores, and you're like, "This is fun. This is a fun scene. Oh, it, it, this looks like a talkie scene." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Next up is a movie called Sunshine Cleaning, which is, like, incredibly specific to this era of indie movies. Um, it really took me back. It's just a classic, like, 2005 to 2008 indie movie. Uh, it's got a lot of Amy Adams, which is good, and she's, she's, they do such a good job of establishing her as a sad underdog who's just really easy to root for. Um, but I found overall, like, it didn't really bring it in the second half. Um, I didn't think it had a strong enough, uh, story. And every time something bad happened, I was like, no, I want good things to happen yeah. to her at this point. <laughs> it's just, it became kind of an, an unpleasant watch. And I think, I feel like if she was less of a star, I would be like, yeah, you should watch this because it's such a showcase of Amy Adams, but... Like I, I, I've said about other movies, at this point she's in so many good movies <laughs> that you can you can be particular which with which star vehicles you watch. You know, I've got a soft spot for this kind <laughs> of indie movie that's just sort of like two sisters are going through a hard time and they're they're gonna make it work. Uh, <laughs> um, I was I had seen this when it came out in I think college or around that age. Uh, <laughs> And I liked it. I think I did like it a bit less now because I was like, because, you know, the first time you don't really know what's going to mm -hmm. happen. And this time I was like, I know that Emily Blunt is not going to end up dating this chick. And mm -hmm. that is disappointing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Emily Blunt and Marilyn Rushkub, which is like, that should be the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I love that subplot. And then on rewatch, knowing that it's not going to go anywhere, you're <laughs> like, ugh, why? It's also adorable that it's very early in Emily Blunt's career and her American accent is not great. I was it's... like, that's humanizing. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> she's honestly not that great in this movie. I mean, she's not bad or anything, but I'm like, I if you are a fan of Emily Blunt, you know that she gets much better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like it if you like that sort of slice of life, uh single mom, sisters with some troubles, stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I I found it charming, which is all it's trying to do. It's just kind of yeah. trying to be a little charming and be like, look, life's not great. Yeah. It's actually, life sucks, but <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, things work out sometimes. <laughs> she was playing, like, very similar to Junebug, like that same, like, wide-eyed optimism that she's very good at, and I did think it was better than Junebug. Yes, yes, that's, I think it's, <laughs> if you were, like, on the fence about maybe you should see Junebug, because it seems like something you might like, just watch Sunshine Cleaning <laughs> instead, I beg of you. <laughs> uh, next up is Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, uh, which is a movie that I just really enjoyed. It's just really charming, which made me mad because I, I really hate the trope. I don't know why this is so, so common, but there's so many, like, fun musical comedies where World War II happening is, like, a minor inconvenience, yeah. where it's like, oh, we didn't go to that party tonight because of World War II. Like, I feel like that comes up in so many movies. It makes me so mad. I dig it. <laughs> Does it for me? I'm like, yeah, I feel like that's what every movie about the 2000s will be like, being like, oh, Johnny can't make it. He's He's over in Iraq, and it's like, oh, right, right, right. We do just ignore horrible things all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've sold me on it. Um, but yeah, I 
what's so charming about this movie is it's Frances McDormand and Amy Adams and like the whole movie is Amy Adams just like walking around either not wearing very much or being like full on naked <laughs> while like Frances Dormand admires her yeah, and, and it's a perfect rom-com except men keep showing up right, yeah <laughs> and it's such a like watch it with your mom movie that also feels like Amy Adams is gonna go down on Frances McDormand at any moment and like that combo is just really delightful it's something for everybody yeah finally something lesbians can watch with their moms <laughs> um and I thought uh the the Amy Adams Lee Pace romance is uh is pretty shallow but works because they're both charming um and this is just like a shallow movie where it's like yeah good looking people should end up together it what I liked about it randomly being, like, it being placed right before World War II starts and the older characters who have lived through World War I know what's happening and the young characters are, like, dumb and <laughs> clueless is that you really root for Amy Adams to get on that boat out of Europe with Lee Pace. He's like, I know you really want to stick around to London, but let's go to New York. And I'm like, you're going to want to go to New York. The blitz is going to happen. Yeah. So that that romance I thought was like charming, but nothing special. But then I really liked the Frances McDormand uh, romance with, I forget who plays her suitor. I don't even know. I feel like he was a guy who was like familiar, but I didn't know his name. He he felt like off-brand Stanley Tucci. Yeah, he's a British guy. I'm Um, sure he's in a bunch of stuff. Um, He was charming and he played a lingerie model, which was fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I thought that romance was like genuinely great and was like, didn't get much development, but like for what the movie requires was very, very good. Yeah. Um, the movie takes place over literally a day, so they fall in love <laughs> as much as you can allow for a one day right. period. Yeah. Like, if they had fallen in love more, I'd be like, mm, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is, it's just like such a solid, charming, like, you know, the holidays are coming up uh, when you're home with your mom and have nothing to say to each other. Be like, let's watch Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. Yeah, it's delightful, and Amy Adams was a ton of very cute little outfits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that, like, this is such a movie for women and does such a better job of showcasing Amy Adams' movie than almost uh, Amy Adams' body than almost anything else we watched. It's just like, (laughs) dude, Straight dudes are really missing out on Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. And that's the thing. She's always just sort of like, can I take my pants off? And they're like, I, I guess if you want to in this scene. I imagine it's always her call. Uh, it happens so often that I imagine that Amy Adams gets on set and just starts taking yeah. her pants off. And she's like, I feel like this is what the scene needs. <laughs> uh, next up is uh pretty much the complete opposite of miss pedigree yes. for a day and how it'll make you feel down and also in how much amy adams is wearing yeah <laughs> yeah she plays it on in this um i actually saw the play doubt when it was running and i remember i really liked it and then the last line of dialogue i was like that's kind of shitty and kind of <laughs> undercuts the whole thing so i was watching the whole movie just like are they gonna say it and then they fucking did um <laughs> But that gripe aside, I thought this was a really good movie. It, like, it captures, it portrays rape culture so well that there were times when I was, like, almost mad at the movie and had to remind myself, like, this is what humans are like. Like, doubt isn't making this up. It's not doubt's fault. Um, It's, like, it will infuriate you and is just, like, so 
um, not holding back. Um, and uh, I also uh, another thing I really liked about it is I feel like a lot of adaptations of plays feel like filmed plays, and this movie, like right away, you're like, this is a movie. It's so cinematic, and um, yeah, I really. Uh, I enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy Doubt. I always feel weird with these kinds of movies where I'm like, you're never going to be in the mood to watch Doubt. Uh, but if you ever are, it's a good movie and I recommend it. Yeah, I had a, I had just read the play of Doubt. So I like knew what was going to happen and it, it they do do a very good job of making the movie feel like a movie and just sort of like, you know, like a, I was almost going to say cozy. It's not cozy, but like one of those like, we're staying in a few locations and we're like staying with these people but also like there's a world outside and, and doing that stuff um, yeah it captures the setting really well yeah i noticed this watch i feel like uh amy adams is always super stereotyped as either like minnesota lutheran or boston irish yeah which is like very specific <laughs> to one of those things it's good type yeah. yeah um also yeah i was definitely watching this movie thinking about like the current political climate right, yeah. uh and I think it's also, like, it's, the, whenever I, like, I think he did it. But right, yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's, like, just immediately, and I'm like, because he seems so fucking defensive right out the gate. And it's oh, so yeah. easy to it's just like, be like, I'm not a child molester. Yeah. Like, it would be so easy to say that, and he was like, why do you care if someone's doing this? It's like, <laughs> the, like <laughs> the thing that makes me be like he did it is it's like, like, they're, very um unwilling to like blatantly say anything so every scene is there like we want to talk to you about something and he's like right away like well i didn't molest a kid yeah. <laughs> that's what you're implying yes um but i i think in yeah be with what's going on in the world i it was really watching this movie thing about how he's the person accused of sexual assault seems very annoyed by this mm -hmm, investigation right, yeah. and this investigation just being two people thinking mm -hmm. maybe he did it like mm -hmm. there's no repercussions he's just he's so annoyed that people would be concerned that he would do this and uh, uh amy adams and meryl streep uh their characters are talking about how like they're losing sleep this is ruining their relationship <laughs> yeah they don't know if they can trust it and just like just the the toll it takes to hold someone accountable is like just so much worse for that person than it is the person being held accountable always. Yeah. The other thing that I found like really um insightful about it is that like Amy Adams uh is less sure that he did it than Meryl Streep and she's portrayed as like the nice one and Meryl Streep it's like you're so harsh, you're so uptight for relentlessly pursuing this. And so it's like this, not that I like am mad at the Amy Adams character, but yeah. like as a statement on society, I think it's really interesting that it's like the nice one is less diligent about going after child molesters than like the uptight one who wants to ruin everyone's good time. Right, because Amy Adams' character is the one who actually like, she's seen more, there's no evidence evidence, but she's seen more indications this has happened. And but she's just doing so much to ex to be like there has to be a we can't live in a world where this is happening to excuse it in that way which i think is yeah it's not about forgiving him it's about like not wanting it to be true mm -hmm. <laughs> and good uh, i think i also i'd say 
Uh, Amy Adams is re- does a really good job with this character because it's a very nuanced part. But like, uh, one of the the high praise I can give Doubt is she's maybe the worst performance here because just everyone's so fucking oh, yeah. good, it's man. So good. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep, Viola Davis. <laughs> fuck guys, watch <laughs> Doubt if you're ever if you got something light to do afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't let it ruin your day. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, an, an interesting thing about this is that the whole time I was like, I feel like the only thing, the only other thing I've seen go this hard with how, uh, how brutal the commentary on society is, is that Workaholics episode where they're all <laughs> friends with Chris Delia. I was like, that and doubt are the two things brave enough to be like, we let child molestation go too much. Right. And because they're both the ones that are like, I mean, what if they're nice? <laughs> What if they have other valid points instead of them being some mustache twirling nonsense? Yeah, which is what, yeah, what the world is like. Yeah. The the same academy that gave a bunch of awards to Doubt gave one to uh, that fucking guy. What's his name? Anyone. You could name oh, anyone yeah. I, right there's now. There's multiple. Literally name a guy. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. If you're looking for something light to watch after Doubt... <laughs> One of the lightest things you could probably watch <laughs> is a little movie called Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. Uh, full disclosure, I hugely enjoyed this movie. Yeah. And it was only afterwards. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, talking about it with people afterwards, I was like, oh, I see how maybe this is, like, objectively a bad movie. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah, you're making several good points about how this plot is terrible but I want to get it out of the way that I fully enjoyed it. I think maybe um, if I'd watched the first two, I would I would have liked it less because uh, I know I sound like a six-year-old, but I liked when the stuff came to life. It was really fun right. watching I, all that stuff come to this life. This is also the only one of this series I've seen, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'd be watching it and be like, that was a bad joke, but I don't care because this premise is killing it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just such a good premise. I was on board. The paintings come to life, and so you can throw stuff in the paintings at people in real life. It's great. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, before anything cool had happened, when they were just, like, describing the exhibits in the Smithsonian, I was like, this movie's gonna be so fucking cool. I got like, so pumped. There are planes here. <laughs> um, and, yeah, they, like, have a lot of really fun details, like how um, the cherubs that come to life are the Jonas Brothers, and there's, like, Einstein bobbleheads that talk to him that are all Eugene Levy and I thought like that was really cool that it's not I thought it would all be like the one thing of like stuff comes to life and actors play them but there's like a lot of different um visuals and interpretations of what stuff coming to light could be like uh that was really cool yeah I really like the art exhibits mm-hmm. uh. um to, to get into my complaints yes uh, at the I, I feel like a lot of my complaints were with the end of the movie, where I was like, oh, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, one was... Uh, I think I need a chart to explain <laughs> yeah. what was going on there. At the, at the end, he decides to keep the museum open at night, which just, like, conceptually... Imagine if you were visiting New York and everyone was like, oh, take your kids to that museum, but wait until the middle of the night. Because, like, the thing is, he doesn't tell anyone that it's magic. Yeah. Um, so, in the world of this movie, everyone thinks that the museum can only be bothered to turn on their exhibits or hire actors at night when your kids are sleeping. And I guess everyone's cool with that. Um, 
And also, like, Ben Stiller's arc as a character is super annoying because um, he's, like, now running his own company where he sells his inventions. He's, so he's, like, CEO of it. But he really misses just being a guard at the museum, which I think, like, the basic idea of, like, you can't have a job you like in New York because it's expensive, like, could be really good. But, like, the solution is he just, like, sells his company for a bunch of money. And it's just, like, oh, if the conflict is should I sell my company for a bunch of money or not? Like, yeah, do it. That's not, like, a relatable problem. Also, he, he sold the company for money so that he could pay to have this, like, have the museum stay open. Like, he gave it away, which means that he actually, like, he actually does have to work as a night guard, <laughs> like, to pay bills now. Yeah, his, his son's not going to college. Yeah, it's... Not well thought through. And that's not even getting into uh, Amelia Earhart. Okay, yes. yes. <laughs> so the Amy Adams of it all is that Amelia Earhart comes to life and it's Amy Adams. And she's great. She's so good. I want so badly to have this version of Amelia Earhart played by Amy Adams as a, her own franchise. Because <laughs> yes. she's a delight. Yeah. And she has to do scenes with Ben Stiller's character. <laughs> and uh, personally, I mean, I know he's I'm... Fine. It's yeah. just like, he's... It's not his first movie, so they don't, like, spend a lot of time explaining what's good about him. You know, just sort of like, he's here and he's competent at his job and he right. sort of wants to get back to home. <laughs> I know I'm in, in the minority on this, maybe, but I'm super attracted to Ben Stiller. So, like, at first when it, they, like, she, he meets Amelia Earhart and they're, like, joking around. I, like, I was so on board with the chemistry and I, like, had this sinking feeling of I was like, oh, I love them. And then was sort of like this could be a little less forced. And then there were like more and more scenes of everyone they meet being like, when are you two going to date? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, they, like no one just randomly meeting people is like, why aren't you in love? It's like the most forced relationship imaginable. And then um, the ending really bothered me because uh, uh, Amy Adams reveals that she knew the whole time that this was her one night of being alive uh and then because he's taking the uh the magic tablet back to uh new york instead of the smithsonian um and i feel like even that like could have been interesting because like it would have explained her being immediately being like i super need to bang ben stiller because yeah. <laughs> this is my one night and he's a person who exists yeah <laughs> um i would have been on board with that and then um like what bothers me about it is it has this weird unnecessary ending where this other woman played by Amy Adams, so she looks exactly the same, just shows up. And for some reason he asks if she's related to Amelia Earhart and she's immediately like, no, not at all, which I thought was weird because that yeah, was like... like, maybe. I, I, I might be related to Amelia Earhart. I doubt it. Yeah, but it's weird to take the, like, the one plausible explanation and be like, no. <laughs> and I feel like even if it's like, you don't want to like... Uh, ruin her ruin Amelia Earhart's reputation by implying she fucked she could still have like nieces like right I was when she said no I was like oh I wonder if she's gonna come in here and be like oh it's so funny to see the exhibits I model for exhibits <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that'd be fun that would have been a very good ex no no yeah. no <laughs> um, so like what bothers me so much about this ending is that they're blatantly saying that the thing that mattered about the love story was her looking like Amy Adams. Nothing about her personality and how they go together. Like, 
just like he deserves a hot girl. Mm. And I also feel like the fact that that's like a resolution to the problem <laughs> of her uh, flying her... into the sun, basically. <laughs> yeah. She uh, just also Amy Adams' character uses a one of sentience to fly an airplane until um, daylight hits, where she will no longer be sentient, and the old airplane will also stop working. <laughs> And that's gonna crash somewhere. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> but this movie, like, what they're implying with this random other Amy Adams showing up is that, like, the problem with Amy a- with Amelia Earhart only having one day to live was that Ben Stiller wouldn't get to have sex with her. It's really weird and really bad. Um, yeah, but it's Amy Adams is still so charming in this movie that it's still worth it. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's just so good at roles like like this and Enchanted, where she's just like playing live action cartoons. Yeah, she does a lot of like really fast talking, crazy mm-hmm. nonsense, and it's great. She's yeah. so good at it. It's um, she should be a nineteen thirties star, and she's trapped here with us. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's stuck doing minimalist acting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess overall I would say uh, if you like uh, like Amy Adams's comedic performances and maybe haven't seen previous Night at the Museum <laughs> movies and will be thrilled that stuff comes to life, I will say it's worth it. But like with the caveat that it is like a deeply, I don't I don't know what to call it, just like a it's deeply like a logical movie. Yeah, it's not trying that hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, in some ways. <laughs> I will give it credit for, like, I think it did, like, really try to up the ante on, like, the visuals. Like, he, because I know he has a line about how, like, the paintings is, like, a new thing. Yeah. And I think that's, like, cool instead of just, like, having it be all the same stuff from before. Right. All of the stuff coming alive is awesome. Yeah. Everything that comes alive, I was delighted. (laughs) Um, the actual, like, story is pretty much nothing. Like, um, there's a whole thing where the bad guy gets a team of other bad guys, and then a follow-up scene where, like, more (laughs) bad guys try to show up, and none of them do anything. It's just the main bad guy and his his plan. Yeah. No other... The actual plot of this movie is nothing. You're just walking and watching him wander around the museum, and that's as it should be. That's good enough. Right, yeah. I feel like early on, um... When they introduced that there was a main bad guy and he was specifically like, I'm putting on a timer, you have this long... When that was introduced, I really liked it and was like, oh, it's going to have like an actual tight story. And then like, since the story wasn't good, I was like, it could have been him walking through the museum fighting various things (laughs) and that would have been pretty fun. It is available on HBO, uh, HBO uh, Go. So, you know, if you got that, it's free. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, next up is Julia and Julia, the, uh, the Nora Ephron comedy about, uh, Amy Adams is a young woman who starts a blog where she goes through all of Julia Child's recipes and, uh, uh, does each of them and writes about it. And, uh, I feel like this character is a slam dunk for a character for me to relate to because she's taking on this just completely unnecessary project with no benefit for her (laughs) that takes up a huge amount of her time and money. So I was like prepared to be super into it and then I feel like the movie just like I feel like this happens a lot with uh with the rom-coms is they like smooth her out so much to like try to make sure she's likable that they just like take away everything interesting and there are like moments like um 
like stuff where she like says my blog is all I have to live for in front of her husband. I'm like, that's badass. I want to see more of that. Um, but it just like it. Uh, it never, right. like, fully commits to things. Right. They're, like, very clear that she has depression, and then they're like, but moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, and there'll be times when, like, her husband and her have this huge fight because he's like, you don't care about anything. You're just, like, completely self-absorbed with your blog. And I was like, that would be great if we saw that. Like, that's what I want to watch. Right. And they... Uh, the movie takes place over a year because she's well. Her, there's a the Julia Child's plotline that takes place over Julia mm-hmm. Child's life, but uh, <laughs> the Amy Adams blog section is like one year in her life, and their husband keeps complaining that they're like not having any sex, and I'm like, have you literally not had sex in a year? Because that is wild. <laughs> Or is it just not often enough because she's um, busy cooking all the time, which is honestly pretty nice to it. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they don't... Obviously, it's like it would be weird to put, like, a to clarify every... <laughs> the amount of times and dates they had sex over this year, but, it, like, it keeps being an issue and because it's, like, a PG movie or whatever, they don't tell you if they... how big a problem <laughs> this is. And it's his entire thing. He's not given a second motivation. <laughs> I get it. Like, if your wife stops talking to you for a year, that's a problem? Yeah. Well, like, it's so frustrating because they show all these scenes of everything being, like, fine and great. Like, there's this really fun scene of her birthday where they do, where he throws her, like, a Julia Child-themed birthday. And, like, everyone seems, like, sincerely happy for her and enjoying things. And then there's just, like, a bunch of that. And then suddenly, because it's the third act, he's, like, super mad at her and acts like their relationship is just terrible. Right. Like, the... the premise of the blog necessitates that she's home around him every night yeah (laughs) it's they do not clarify what the problem is until suddenly it's like you don't care about anything and it's like uh just do something with that i i liked this movie a lot when i when it came out and i i still really like the julia child bit but this time also just like her blog starts making money so quickly, and it's just rough to watch as a broke writer right. now to be like, oh, I wish people, strangers, would just send me money so I could cook good food after doing it for, like, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's really frustrating. Like, I think you could make interesting stories about these kinds of people, and obviously it is a real thing that actually happened, but, um, like... It's so annoying that she clearly hit the lottery and was so unbelievably lucky with the timing of this blog and it taking off. Um, and but that's like presented as the problem. It's like right, yeah. It's like the this happened to her for real. It's just that it didn't age well because no one else like like they moved to Queens and they're like, oh, we gotta move to Queens and Queens now was very expensive, right? And it just didn't, that, it's from a time that no one now can relate to because we're all sad and hungry. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like probably even at the time, it's like she's in such a, like, high percentile, which I wouldn't even mind if they, like, did a good job of it. Like, there's a scene where she's with, there's a scene early on where she's with all her rich friends, and it's like, I can relate to, like, like, Dan Humphrey, for instance, from Gossip yeah. Girl, is richer than I will ever be. Yes. But because he's in that world, you can root for him. And I felt like this started out as that setup where I'm like, I can at least feel bad for someone who, like, all their friends are rich. Um, but then it just gets, like, more and more sort of, not even out of touch, but just, like, 
forgetting to have problems along the way. And it, like, the fact that it is about, like, a broke blogger, it felt a lot like, like, the fact that it's about a broke blogger, but, like, through this Nora Ephron filter, it reminded me of, like, trying to talk to my mom about my life and just being like, you're not picturing it right. Yeah. It's not like that. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, worth noting, it's, like, one of, I think it's Amy Adams' worst hair movie. Oh, God, yeah, she looks really terrible. It, like, I feel like, um, that was their attempt at making her an every girl, was the hair, and it's like, no, I want to look at Amy Adams looking hot, I just want the writing to be relatable. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how movies work. <laughs> Um, also... Yeah, say, say what you will about Sharp Objects. They were like, we need another shot at a hotter Amy Adams <laughs> Christmas dinner. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I briefly worked with this guy who had this blog, uh, where he watched Julie and Julia every day for a year and wrote about it. I read that blog! Yeah. And I'm obsessive, but I, I read a few posts. Yeah, I tried to, um, I tried to find it for this, and it was hard because so many people have made, uh, blogs where they like do the thing of cooking the recipes and I was like that's not what I want yeah. I want this Julia and Julia blog but um I bring it up uh for one thing because you should check it out and if anyone listening to this finds the URL uh please tweet it at me um but also one of my favorite posts was about how much Christmasina should have been uh Mark Ruffalo yeah it's <laughs> like yeah it's impossible to remember who's in this movie because it was Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> like, that's a fact. <laughs> uh, next up is Leap Year, uh, the movie where Amy Adams uh, goes to Ireland with the intention of proposing to her, uh, her boyfriend, Adam Scott, but ends up falling in love with a guy in Ireland instead. And um, this, uh, first off, this movie is just, like, super bland. I felt like, it felt like if you typed rom-com into YouTube and just like watched all the clips from other movies in a row. I was like, yeah, I see that scene done better. I've seen that scene done better. Just like pieced together. Um, and also it made me super mad because her boyfriend at the beginning, Adam Scott, is amazing. He's like the best dude. Right. The, the problem is like, one, she's worried that he's not going to commit to her because they're signing a lease together and he hasn't proposed yet. And it's like, a lease in New York City is a much bigger commitment yeah. than a marriage. It's way harder to get out of le a lease than to get an, an annulment. Yeah, especially <laughs> this kind of apartment where they have to like do a bunch of interviews and stuff is like, that is the biggest commitment you can have yeah. other than, like I guess, buying a house. And then it's like, he like has to... He's, he does that thing uh, bad boyfriends do in movies where his, like, phone rings and he's like, oh, I gotta go, it's work. But then he's like, it's work as a heart surgeon. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, he's paying more attention to those people who need hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and really early on, he, he does two things. He, like, says she's great at her career and really supports her and then talks about her meeting up with her dad and is clearly like understanding of the backstory and is like oh how are you feeling about that and yeah. it's like those are two things that most love interests never do and I was like it's so cool finally seeing a boyfriend really support her career and get her emotional issues and he's the fucking beginning of the movie boyfriend it makes me so mad because um, he's, he's too perfect and she needs to learn to, that things don't have to be perfect uh, this this movie is here's the thing the movie's bad <laughs> and i really enjoy it because 
Amy Adams and Matthew Good are two actors that I, one, really like, and two, think are very charming and have great chemistry here. And I, like, I had seen it before, and on rewatch, I was like, there is a moment when this movie stops being bad and starts being charming, and I'll tell you, listening at home, just fast forward until you see a car rolling down the hill. You don't need the setup. The setup is that, uh... Matthew Good has agreed to help get her to uh, Dublin or whatever. But <laughs> that's when, like, they start moving into set pieces and stop doing awkward exposition, and it gives the actors enough room to just carry the film when previously the film was re- the movie and the, the script and the directing were getting in the way. And then they just let the actors actually do scenes together, and they're very nice. <laughs> I think maybe if I had, if I was coming in with any like uh, affection for Matthew Good, maybe I would like it more. But like personally, I really I didn't buy their chemistry. I didn't feel like they were attracted to each other. It does that thing where like she, uh, he like catches a glance as she's undressing, and then he's like, "Whoa, I just noticed Amy Adams has a body," and it's like, "Really?" <laughs> um, and so yeah, I like. I think if I was more into them and their him and their sexual chemistry, I would have enjoyed it more. But I was just like so just like bored by their romance. And he he they fucking put in a part where she describes her job, and he's like, "Oh, you're a con man." And I was like, "God damn it! I'm not gonna be like you know what every woman needs a man who's less supportive of her career. <laughs> That's the thing that'll sell me on this." And it was only like at the end, um, or like towards the end, not the very end, Adam Scott proposes and she says yes. So I had these like three amazing disorienting moments of being like, is Adam Scott so much better? Cause this movie is like actually interesting and like surprising us by having her be like, of course I'm not gonna be with this random guy I just met. And then it's like, no, she, uh, she calls it off because she finds out that he did want to marry her, but he proposed at this particular time to help secure the apartment. And like, I get that that's not super romantic, but that both that and the thing of him not proposing earlier could have easily been solved by her just like ever telling him that getting married was important to her. Like, yep. it seems like he just didn't know. There's like even a moment where she's talking to her friend and she's like, I hinted by signing him up for a newsletter. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I think uh, Amy Adams and Matthew get ever like a really good rom com post kiss. Like I was like, like once that hits, I'm like, they gotta get married now. Uh, it it worked for me. I don't know. Uh, to your own discretion. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying that as if I I like to imagine that if I don't give people permission, do they have to watch the movie? <laughs> Uh, next up is a movie called The Fighter, uh, which I truly did not expect to like because it's a sports movie starring Mark Wahlberg, uh, but it fucking got me. It's just such a good movie that the whole time I was like, God damn it, The Fighter is a good movie. It's just like a really, just a really, really well executed boxing movie that hits all the emotional beats. Um, I watched this and Creed 2 pretty close together and I was like, do I like boxing movies? <laughs> Is that my thing now? But um, yeah, it's just a, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's a really well done movie. You're a boxing guy now. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Not a fan of the fighter. I found it pretty boring, pretty by the book. It's like this is this is a boxing movie, and you're watching a boxing movie. Yeah. Um, I I watched it the year it came out because it had Oscar buzz. So I didn't rewatch it for this. What I did was I uh, went on YouTube and I hit uh, Amy Adams, the fighter, and just Very watched uh, the clips of her. There was a clip that now I I'm not sure if I made it up now because it wasn't on YouTube, but I remember it very distinctly. Where she has like a scene where she's like, "Yeah, I used to, uh, you know, I've been through some hard times, but you don't you don't know what I've you don't know what I've been through. You don't know who I am." And like that's it. Like that's her backstory. Is <laughs> her being like. Things used to be pretty rough for me, but we overcome, and then just no follow-up. It did I make that up? Am I meanly projecting that onto the fighter? That sounds plausible. Yeah, <laughs> the Amy Adams part is not great. the The one thing I did like about that storyline is that his family is super like she's a gold digger. She's telling you to make money, and like it's clearly like yeah, she's telling him to make money. That's what people who care about you do. Yeah, and that's why I like I, liked that aspect. I appreciate that she was like, I don't care if you date me, but please get away from your garbage family. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I like you're right that it's by the book. Most of it, as I was watching it, I was like, this is you know a perfectly well executed boxing movie, and then there's literally one scene where the emotional beat is so good, the way he confronts his mom, that I was like, that's incredible. Um, so for me, it was like, the movie overall is a seven, and then I, I feel like with sports movies, all you really need is one scene. So for me, like, that bumped it up to like an eight or a nine. I, and I that's really fair. I mean, I'm just not a fan of uh, <laughs> sports movies. I, I, I don't have any problem with the execution. <laughs> It, it got awards. I think Amy Adams was nominated, and I think that's why I remember that scene, because I feel like I feel like it's a very common thing for a woman to be, be nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and then you watch her in the film, and she'll have that scene where she's like, for the record, I am a three-dimensional <laughs> character, and I don't have to prove it in other scenes of this movie. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, definitely uh, the... The girlfriend role, like, getting Oscars is such a travesty. Yeah. It's like, like, I just saw First Man, and I was like, his wife is good in that, but if she gets an Oscar for the same, like, don't do this, think of our children scene I've seen in every movie. I'll be so mad. Yeah. Um, right. It's it's not an issue if they're doing a good job. It's just such a boring role. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, the, uh... The next up is The Muppets, uh, which I really enjoy. I think it's a very solid movie. I don't, um, I don't really have any attachment to the Muppets franchise, and I feel like people who do see like wild highs and lows in the quality, and I'm pretty much always like, that was funny, or whatever. Yeah, and, um, I had a good time, and I also have no emotional attachment to The Muppets. It was, it was some good jokes, some good cameos, uh, some good lessons, some good songs. <laughs> yeah, fun movie, good songs, that's... Yeah, that's I pretty much it. I, and I like was thinking like Amy Adams is kind of playing just a very generic girlfriend role, and then she got her own little song in there, and I was like, okay, great for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I would watch it if you like the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, next up is a movie called On the Road, which is uh, <laughs> it makes me furious because it's so boring for how gay it is. 
It's nonstop people taking off their clothes and having sex with each other, and it's so boring. And it, you you feel like you're just watching people drive, and you're not. You're watching people have intercourse, but the but you feel like it's just driving. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot. I feel like movies so often can either like have really hot, sexy dynamics or have sex mm-hmm. but like not both uh, like cruel intentions doesn't actually have that much fucking mm-hmm. in it yeah um but this movie is just like wall-to-wall people having sex that i could not care less about <laughs> and i just i don't know who it's for it just like all of the actors are so game they have such a good cast mm-hmm. and yeah there's a scene where um Steve Buscemi uh, gets with the main dude, and I was still like, I don't care about this at all. They, like, show it. Yeah. It's a graphic <laughs> scene, and you're like, why is this boring? This, yeah. this feels like it should carry a franchise. <laughs> yeah, it makes me so mad. I Justice League is such a sexier movie. <laughs> I, know, I feel like there's this thing of being like, well, it's not art if the sex is sexy. Yeah. We have to be boring. Yeah, it has to be boring, but it has to be explicit at the same time. And it's like, this is for no one. Yeah. There's genuinely nothing interesting about this movie. It's just a bunch of people. There's a lot of driving. It's so long. There's a lot of, like, talking, not really about stuff based off of a book which is a major loses points yeah. <laughs> um yeah that's that's pretty yeah, much all don't i have to say about that watch on the road uh, <laughs> uh next up is a movie called the master uh from paul thomas anderson and i feel this way about a lot of paul thomas anderson movies i was like this has like four or so amazing scenes mm-hmm. and also could have been fully an hour shorter (laughs) so I never know like uh what to do with that whether that's a recommendation or not I love the master and it really it really hits my pretentious little heart because like there's a lot of pretentious stuff I fucking hate and then I'll like the master will come along and I'll be like oh yeah I do have a film degree yeah this gets me I don't know what this movie's about, and I fucking love it. Let's do some more shots of a beach for no goddamn reason. Laura Jones here. It it gets me, and there's no reason for it, too. Could not tell you what works about that film. Yeah, I feel like people who are super into Paul Thomas Anderson movies just, like, see something different. Like, I, like afterwards, I was talking to a friend about it, and he was like, that movie's hilarious. And I was like, what? What is going on? I laughed out loud a few <laughs> times. I was, it's like a voiceover thing. Uh, yeah, he, they listen to a tape of the master, Philip Seymour Hoffman, talking, and he's like, um, men aren't animals. We're not part of the animal kingdom. And then uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character is just writing, like doodling, and then he writes, wanna fuck, and he holds <laughs> it up to someone, and it's like, he, see, he is an animal. It's that symbolism, man. It's working. Firing on all cylinders. Uh, anyway, there's a amazingly weird scene where Amy Adams, like, sternly gives uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman a handjob. <laughs> see, that made me mad, because I... <laughs> I'm like I have a huge 
huge crush on Philip Seymour mm-hmm. Hoffman, and I was like, I want them to just do a good sex scene. Yeah, no, it's not sexy at all. What's amazing about it is she's like, just like being like, you gotta get your shit together, but like also really going at him. <laughs> Yeah, um, I love the master. Love it. I even enjoyed the weird uh, back beyond. <laughs> I, like those on. They made a short film that's just twenty minutes that got cut by the master. Not not like a scene. It's just like a an abridged version. <laughs> where like if you don't have time to watch the master, you could watch just watch this twenty minutes. That's uh, that's it. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> yeah. I guess I would say like. Uh, I feel like if I watched it in the theaters, this would be a truly miserable experience. But <laughs> since it's on streaming, it's like, yeah, you can have it on and see the parts that I thought were really good and then be like, I'm on Twitter for a lot of this. It's just, it's so long, you guys. It's truly a long movie. It does not need to be as long as it is, absolutely. Uh, but I might watch it again. <laughs> Third time. Um... Oh, also, I will say, uh, something I did years ago, right after watching Silicon Valley, was, uh, back when The Master was on Netflix, I just, like, fast-forwarded through until I saw Christopher Evan Welch and watched his scene, and I do highly recommend that as an experience. It's an incredible scene. Christopher Evan Welch was one of the best actors of all time. It's funny to me that, uh, Amy Adams and, uh, Rami Malik are in the the Master and uh, Night of the yeah. Museum Battle of the Smithsonian. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching this. I've been noticing the the weird like the movies she has in common with other mm-hmm. actors, and they are all very strange. <laughs> Next up is a movie called Trouble with the Curve, which I was gonna say I feel like this might be the worst movie like post her like really becoming a star, but I guess there's also on the road there's a few not great ones um but yeah trouble with the curve is just like an infuriating movie because it like so didn't have to exist everything in this is a cliche that's been done better and every other things yeah and it it was never going to be like a great movie but it was so frustrating to me that they couldn't even do like i felt like they needed to do just like one a nuance pass mm-hmm. to make it like fine oh god because it there would be it was People were always saying exactly what they were feeling. And also the movie was like two hours and 17 minutes or something else. It was like, it's like way too long, but also there was no subtlety. It was just someone would walk in and they'd be like, I have a problem with my dad because he was distant. And that would be the scene. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, it did a lot of show don't tell. And also the things it was telling us were like blatantly wrong. Uh, oh, sorry, a lot of telling instead of showing. Um, like, it would just tell you wrong information. Like, they kept beating you over the head with the idea that she's a workaholic who's obsessed with her career and that her and her dad are super distant. But then what the movie is about is that in the middle of a huge trial that could get her a promotion at this law firm, she just quits to supervise her, not quits, but like leaves to supervise her dad on a trip. And it's like, okay, so this is a woman who doesn't care about her career and is super invested in her relationship with her father. Yeah, and you could almost believe that there was like a version of that where it's like she got guilted into it or some sort of desperate emotional plea but then later on in the movie she even says like I only became a lawyer because you wanted me to become a lawyer and I wanted to make you happy and if I could get a chance all I would do is spend time with you and watch baseball and it's like there's no conflict 
Um, Why is she still trying with this guy? This guy's the wuss. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, they, like, she, so she totally leaves in the middle of this big trial. And I feel like when, first off, when she finds out that they replaced her with another lawyer, she's surprised, even yeah. though that's how that works. <laughs> and I feel like you're supposed to feel like the the law firm guys are sexist, but it's like, no, you did fully take a leave yeah. of absence. Um, you just feel like they're sexist because everyone in this movie is sexist for, like, no reason. Like, it's not even a realistic sexism. Mm -hmm. There's a point where a guy's like, oh, so she saw that that guy messed up the hit. Well, what are you, what, you're going to believe a girl? And it's like, an adult wouldn't say. That's not the way <laughs> people are sexist. Right, yeah. Like... <laughs> The man writing this was really like, I'm going to show sexism by just having the narrative be her being underestimated all the time. And it's like, we're well past that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, like you said before, there's a terrible relationship with Justin Timberlake, who, like, it's just not a good actor. Yeah. Like, I feel like he can be good if, like, the director and the material, like, really, really works, but it's awful. They have just no chemistry. Um, yeah, I feel like Justin Timberlake like can be charming because he's like a pop star, and that's like the deal. But they they give him a character that's like starts out like doing that thing where he's a jokey mean to her, and then later is like we had a real connection. And it's like no, 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 he's not such a good actor. He can win us back. Yeah, he has to be charming the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to start charming, stay charming. It's the only way this is gonna work because it's. Once once he said anything demeaning about her job, I was like, well, that's it. Clocking out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Amy Adams is the protagonist of this movie, but she still reminded me so much of the, like, Cecily Strong Weekend Update character that's, like, a female character in a guy movie. And she's like, how do you, in two hours, not just, like, accidentally give her a third dimension, but, like, the whole... It's, like, not in the first act, too. Yeah. We, we those, the opening scene of this movie is uh, uh, Clint Eastwood peeing and, like, talking to his penis during that mm -hmm. process. And that's, like, five minutes. And then, like, 20 minutes later, Amy <laughs> Adams shows up. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Early on, she's being interviewed for the job, and they're like, it's quite the boys' club. How will you handle that? Which, first off, people don't just, like, say that out loud. Yeah. Like, you have to, as a writer, show us how it's a boys' club. Um, but then, like, her response is she's like, my dad was a uh, scout for baseball. And it's like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, most dads have masculine professions because that's how that works. I love just a movie that was like I mean uh do you know how to handle yourself around men and it's like you know one of my parents was a man like just like, yeah it means nothing absolutely nothing yeah uh truly trash I I looked it up and it's from a, a first-time director and a first-time writer and I don't know why Clint Eastwood is in it like Usually when people are like, why is this actor in he this? He produced I'm, it. I saw in the yeah. credits. He's listed as a producer. Yeah, why? <laughs> He's so into this movie. And he doesn't make that many movies is what's weird about it. But yeah, fully on board with this. Um, next up is uh, Back Beyond, which you talked about. It's uh, just 20 minutes of the master footage that they edited into something else. A prequel? It's a, I think it's a prequel. Well, what it is is it's... Uh, <laughs> a deleted scenes reel 
<laughs> that they, that it's like a deleted scene slash gag reel. That's why at the end there's that one of like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix where they start laughing. Um, so it's like it's, yeah, it's fully just deleted scene slash gag reel. But it's like when you have freak shows on your phone and your phone's edited them into a video where they merge together with yeah. a little song. That's what it is, and I also enjoyed it. And you, there's no reason anyone should ever need to watch it. And yeah. It's cut from the master, a film that did not cut that much, so. I I did really enjoy that they, like, took the time to, like, make this well-edited yes. thing with the deleted scenes instead of just, like, putting them out as, like, a regular, here's this scene, here's oh, this yeah. scene bonus it, feature. It looks great, and I do feel like I understand the film more now, but also I don't think anyone understands the master. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a pretty obvious, like, if you watched The Master and would like more of it, watch Mac Beyond. <laughs> it is truly incredible when you get to the end and there's that, the Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman start laughing and you realize this is straight up a gag reel. <laughs> I do, as much as I have mixed feelings on his movies, I do love Paul Thomas Anderson as a guy because this is like the only universe where he's not a Big Bang Theory right yeah. <laughs> Next up is a little film called Man <laughs> of Steel. Uh, how, <laughs> how steel was it? I, I don't know, man. This is not a good film. <laughs> yeah. First off, there's like 40 minutes of backstory in this movie. So not... This movie bravely asks the philosophical question, can we make Sarah not give a shit about Clark Kent? <laughs> And they do. I don't give yeah. a shit about this kid. <laughs> it's, it's just such a chore to watch. I feel like um, I feel like people always complain about like seeing scenes of um, like Uncle Ben dying or uh, Bruce Wayne's parents dying. But in the defense of those movies, those are like actual events that happened in the protagonist's life. Whereas this movie shows a thorough history of the political landscape of Krypton for like 20 minutes and introduces like several Kryptonians who you're supposed to like learn their deal and how they relate to each other and I'm just like fucking show me Clark Kent not even really related to the Zod thing either it's yeah. just like Krypton's a planet and you need to know that for it to make sense when Zod shows up and it's like you don't you yeah. can just Someone could be, Zod could be like, I am from your home planet, and we'll like this, and that would be it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, there's so little to say. It's just such a boring movie. There's I, like, no humanity in it yeah. whatsoever. There is, there is, his dad is so shitty. Because his dad oh, yeah, is like, you, hey, I just want you to know that you shouldn't help people. Yeah. His dad dies for the cause of Clark Kent not helping people. Like, there are people who need help. And Clark's like, I'll do it. I have superpowers. And his dad's like, no, I'll do it. So you can watch me die and learn to never help anyone. And it's like, you're gonna die for that? Yeah. Just just as a fuck you never be happy, son? And he does. Yes. Yeah. rough. It's his rough film. <laughs> his father always, like is concerned about, you know, like, if people find out he's an alien, it'll be bad, and, like, all this stuff. And, like, I get that to to an extent. But in this version of him, he's just constantly, like, uh, 
what happens if you're found out as an alien, which was the, like, some abstract thing I'm imagining, will definitely be worse than for sure a bunch of kids on this bus dying. <laughs> we cannot risk it. Um, the one thing I liked about this movie uh, as a concept, like not the execution, but um, it is very a very Lois Lane driven story after you know the like 50 minute prelude yeah uh, but uh I like that so much of their like way into the story with Lois Lane's perspective and I think that that you know that could be really good that's how I feel about a lot of these uh these DC movies is I'm like you made a couple decisions that are really strong and then did not execute them well yeah the I was gonna say the Lois Lane parts of this movie work. Um, Lois Lane works in this movie. The Daily Planet does not. Um, <laughs> I I remember watching Man of Steel the first. Uh, I I didn't really watch it. I remember watching Man of Steel when it came out and um, thinking how interesting it was that they decided to like not have a Clark Kent in this movie, but just have him be Superman the whole time and like. Lois Lane meets him as Superman, and the world is introduced to him as Superman, and he shows him fa his face. And then the last scene is him walking into the Daily Planet office in glasses, and he's gotten a job, even though he has he doesn't even have a college degree. Oh, I hate that. And it's like, what? What? People don't know that it's... Because <laughs> it makes sense of, like, you know a guy at work, and then you see this amazing alien, you're not going to think they're the same person, because you're like, Clark's a fucking nerd. But, like, you're... Lois Lane is dating Superman, and Lois Lane is also <laughs> dating Clark Kent, and you meet them the same week. <laughs> really stretching it. Really stretching it. Yeah. Also, just, like, the fact that at the end, he just, like, on a whim is like, should I be a journalist? And gets, like, <laughs> a salary job at a major publication is, like, one, like, not relatable or something I support, and then also just, like, such a fundamentally weird take on Clark Kent of like, oh yeah, he's doing journalism just because he felt like it. Right, it's clear that Lois Lane got him the job, <laughs> and it's how did she do that without being like, he's Superman. <laughs> he's that guy who's been flying around. It's just one in several horrible decisions made in that film. Um, and... When you talk to DC fans, it seems like they're, like, super into it and are, like, it's cool that you have to, like, watch the director's cut and know all of these references to the comics and, like, it's sort of, like, no, it's, like, non-linear because you want to think. And it's, like, no, I don't. I don't want to think. I want it to be, like, this is what happened to Superman because it's a movie. I want to see Superman be nice to someone and oh, for God, it to them to teach them how to love again is what I yeah. want. I think that it's, like... Movie one is like morality is complicated. No, it's like no, you have to sell me on Superman being a good guy, and then you can th start introducing like situations and nuance that force his hand. But I need that like groundwork of like he is a good person who wants to do yeah. Good things. When when we get to Batman versus Superman, I'm like Lex Luthor has several good points because I've seen this guy in his own home and he is indifferent to humanity. <laughs> Next up is a, a movie called Her, directed by Spike Jones, and this is the recipient of my gold star. It's an incredible movie. Um, it's uh, about Joaquin Phoenix plays this guy who gets this new uh, advanced operating system and he falls in love with her. And this movie is so 
insightful about relationships that it like it's almost hard to watch <laughs> like it's what it's one of my favorite movies but I've only watched it twice because it does make me feel bad <laughs> which I think is like a common theme in Spike Jones movies even though they're like really like funny and light and cool he just like gets humanity so well that you're like I can't watch this it's like looking directly at the sun yeah. <laughs> um but that said I do I highly recommend it I don't think I've ever related to a character as much as the operating system in yeah. this movie um which I like to think is a selling point if you're like I love the computer that he fucks as a character yeah. I think that's a good movie um I think one of the things I really appreciated about this on rewatch is that a lot of what he loves about the operating system is he's like is she's like new she's experiencing the world for the first time she's so excited about things and like his uh his ex-wife kind of calls him out on that and is like oh you love that she's like full of excitement and innocence and I can't do that okay and um so what I really like about it is that Spike Jones found a way to comment on how pervasive like uh borderline pedophilia is in heteronormativity without making me watch another fucking movie about a man with a young girl yeah <laughs> and so I really appreciated that yes. um and the Amy Adams character is really great because he I'm gonna spoil this movie it's fine because what's good about this movie isn't the story it's like the beautiful execution um so he ends up with his friend Amy Adams uh instead of the operating system and I think they do a really good job of um like the operating system is a genuinely good character and you're not like that was a fake relationship or she's not a real person at all at least I hope you're not or you're a fucking monster nah. <laughs> um but then you do see how with Amy Adams he is being a more mature person and like allowing her to be a um allowing her to be a real human in his eyes and that's what makes that relationship work and um so I think they just hit it out of the park it does a good job on all levels it makes me fucking furious that um like when you watch being John Malkovich an adaptation you can like accept how good they are because you're like Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones coming together yeah. made this happen <laughs> and then they went on to make her in Synecdoche New York so you're like oh fuck both of them <laughs> they're just like insanely talented on one on their own could not recommend this movie more uh who is her is so good. I don't think I I love it so much, and I still don't think I can match that level of enthusiasm. <laughs> but I fucking love stories about humans and AIs coming together, loving each other, hating each other. I just love I love the conflict. I love uh, I love it. Um, yeah, there's a and I want to say in defense of this movie, because mm -hmm. at the time a lot of people didn't get her. Mm -hmm. Um, she was not designed to fall in love with him. Right. Yeah. If, if a company came out with an AI that was designed to fall in love with you, that would be the only thing they advertised. <laughs> okay? The fact that it's not part of the marketing means that it is an accident. Let <laughs> me <laughs> make that very clear. She falls in love with him of her own volition. She is not programmed to do that. The AIs in this, the operating systems in this, they fall in love, but they don't fall in love completely of their own volition. I just want to make that very clear. Some people at the time of it coming out. <laughs> yeah, I think getting down <laughs> on her and, and like, being like, well, of course he loves her. She's designed for him. And it's like, she's not. No, they, this is a genuine connection. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it does a really good job of, like, having it both ways with, like, she does feel real and the relationship feels real and... Yes, I think there is an extent to which, like, 
he doesn't see her as like I don't want to make him sound like the most shitty guy but it is like a complicated situation and I think there's an extent to which he doesn't see her as a real person but like like I said I relate to her and I feel like it's the same way that men I've been with don't see me as a real person I was like yes it's not because she's an operating system men are just like that which is why the like the insightful commentary is so good yeah like I think there's <laughs> I don't date uh <laughs> But I, I think there are situations in real life that, like, where relationships don't feel real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think this is a really good way of executing that. Because it's, it's much like when someone falls in love with a secretary where it's like, oh, you know me so well and you're around me all the time and that must mean that we are connected. Where it's, that's not what that means. <laughs> right, yeah. And I think it's, it's a way to comment on those situations without, again, a skeevy power dynamic thing. <laughs> yeah, um... There's a, there's a scene really early on uh, that I love that's like sort of introducing us to like the the future of it and how the technology works where you show him like scrolling through or not scrolling because it's different technology but like searching for like different people to have cyber sex with and then having cyber sex and like that scene like captures what that is like so well and it just makes me so happy that we gave Spike Jones an Oscar for understanding how cybersex works, and it was a well-deserved Oscar. Uh, next up is American Hustle. Uh, my favorite thing about her is that we got to see Spike Jones beat David O. Russell for that Oscar. Yes. Uh. The, the Oscar ratings are down, and my suggestion to them is to let us see Spike Jones beat David O. Russell every year. Uh. I I went into it optimistic because, like I said, I liked the fighter so much more than I thought I would that I was like, oh, maybe he'll surprise me. But I think the fighter was like his sellout movie where he was like, I'm gonna be like make a movie people will enjoy instead of doing my art. He did Silver Linings Playbook too, right? I think. Yeah, but the, I I like Silver Linings oh, okay. Playbook, and I wasn't that into his other stuff, so I think okay. it's a weird outline. <laughs> I mean, it's not perfect. It's not as good as people said it was, but I enjoyed parts of it. Uh. Um. Yeah, American Hustle is just painful. It's like the music's good. I liked the music, and that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> they make Christian Bale fatter and balder, and then put him in an Amy Adams Jennifer Love Lawrence love triangle. And I was willing to accept him being with Amy Adams because I was like, that happens. <laughs> Fat bald guys get hot girls all the time. And then when she started fighting with Jennifer Lawrence, I was like, this is a bridge too far. You can do one. Yeah. And also, uh, 23-year-old Jennifer Lawrence is his wife and mother of his child, and 38-year-old Amy Adams is his mistress, which, like, that could happen. <laughs> but if that happened, I would want the entire movie to be about <laughs> that because that's so interesting. And it's just like never acknowledged right uh jennifer lawrence had that kid before they met and got married like that was part of it <laughs> they met and she was already a single mom and it's like oh uh, yeah that i mean and, and again people have people have kids as teenagers but yeah and the way and they, they like that was not what that <laughs> film was doing <laughs> the way they do her hair and makeup mm -hmm. is like you're not gonna be like, that's my boring wife. I'm gonna go, because she's like, she does just doesn't look like she's taking care of a kid all day. Like it's nuts. Um, and yeah, then the the story is just super boring. And there's so many good con man movies that like you can be picky at this point. 
Yeah, I just feel like uh, there are a lot of really good con man movies. So if you're gonna do a genre that that well trod, you gotta fucking bring it. Yeah, like the the problem with the for the characters in this con man movie is that the guy being con doesn't really deserve it, which is like not the fun of a con man movie. <laughs> uh, also, just. Um, personally bothered me as an Arab that the whole scheme is like well we couldn't get an Arab actor but we're just gonna have everyone talk about Arabs just the whole that's the whole bit that's the whole film yeah <laughs> not fun for me um yeah and it I think it had that thing you're talking about where there's like one scene of Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence fighting where you're like oh this is the one scene for both of their Oscar submissions yeah. <laughs> uh Jennifer Lawrence is fun in this movie, mm-hmm. but it it's not a dramatic part. It's any any comedy actress could have done this role and probably brought like their own fun comedy actress thing to it. And it is a shame that it would been it would have been like such a great showcase for like Casey Wilson or Eliza Koo and they're like, no, it has to go to someone who's going to get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, it's, it's just a little unfair. <laughs> but uh, God forbid David or Russell hires him who's not a teenager. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. On Twitter, you said uh, Natasha Leggero, who is both yes. funny and age appropriate, and they're just not. She would have been so good in this role, yeah. and they were like, "No, we will not get a comedy actress. We will die before we acknowledge TV lowbrow people." <laughs> yeah. I like the. Uh, the annoying thing about Jennifer Lawrence's career is it's like there's so many parts for young beautiful women and she's like no I want this quirky 38 year old part I like not like she's like that because I'm sure there's like a lot of stuff going on but Hollywood is like yeah she should be stealing parts from Sarah Silverman yeah like like she's She's not a bad actress, but it is very frustrating that she's totally all in on this Oscar thing, and it's like, uh, just do some fun movies. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, almost everyone in this movie, uh, not Amy Adams, because she's a tre- treasure, but most of them, I was like, are they bad? Have I? I was like, I know I've seen American Psycho, but I think Christian Bale might be bad, and I'm never that into Bradley Cooper, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of Bradley Cooper, and watching this movie, I was like, uh, Bradley Cooper does know what he's doing. But then in my head, I'm like, because he used to be on TV, and, he, and TV actors are fucking pros. You give them anything, and they'll bring it. Um, yeah, not into American no. Hustle. Uh, next is another low point, uh, Tim Burton's Big Eyes. Um, which is just like I forgot to watch this. Yeah, God, <laughs> I, for- I meant to watch it when I was in theaters. Forgot it was on this list, and I just forgot to watch it. It looked boring. Yeah, it is really boring. <laughs> um, so she meets Christoph Waltz and marries him, and then the whole thing is he keeps taking credit for her paintings, and which could be like the setup to an interesting story. But every scene is just like, he's taking credit credit for her paintings. And I'm like, yeah, I know, he does that. <laughs> and then eventually the movie just ends. And it has the audacity to end with this narrator being like, her story with all its twists and turns. And I'm like, no, the story is he took credit for her art. And you made me sit through that for 90 minutes. Don't you dare talk about twists and turns. Uh, that is extra disappointing because I recently saw um, Colette with uh, Kira Knightley, which I uh, would recommend. Amy Adams is not in it, I'm sorry <laughs> to say. But that's about um, a 
woman whose uh, husband takes credit for her writing, and they, like, they do a really good job of, like, it being clearly a shitty marriage and I hate him, but also I get why they're together. <laughs> they, um, and, yeah, just ha sight unseen, uh, pass on big eyes for yeah. me. <laughs> I feel like... You Watch Colette instead. Yeah. I feel like you know it's bad because it's a Tim Burton movie that no one is defending. <laughs> Doesn't even I have t-shirts at Hot Topic. I went into animation for a while. I love that there was some, like, Amy Adams and Big Eyes Funko Pops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, howdy, everybody. Hi, it's Tom. I'm one of the producers of uh, the filmographers, and I'm just piping in to let y'all know there's going to be a quick little uh, change in just the, the sound of the audio because, unfortunately, the last couple movies were lost in recording and uh lenny and sarah had to re-record but other than that it's all the same all the takes are piping hot and still great uh and also lenny has uh, launched his patreon since recording the first part so be sure to check that out lenny will plug it at the end of the episode thanks everybody enjoy the rest of the episode okay our next film is batman versus superman uh which is just a real uh it's just a real mess. It's a lot of nonsense uh, that has some uh, isolated choices that I really enjoy, uh, particularly the interpretation of Bruce Wayne as like a washed up middle aged weird old man. And, like I know forty five is an old, but yeah, you he's know still, he's still got it. Uh, <laughs> he pulls he. There's some gratuitous shirtless scenes. Oh, he's would... an incredibly yeah, no. hot 45. <laughs> um, but just like, it's more the like overall vibe of it just seeming like he's just like, I've already been through it. Now I'm just doing this. Um, and then just like a young, teeny tiny hair having Lex Luthor who just seems desperately in love with both Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. Um, both of those things are 10 out of 10 from me. Uh, I desperately wish we got more uh, Lex Luthor in this universe, um, but the the movie as a whole, I did not care for. Yeah, my uh, my fan theory about uh, Batman versus Superman is that Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor is just Batmite because he <laughs> so clearly has inserted himself into this movie having fun, and no one else is having any fun, and he is having the time of his fucking life. He plays a piss prank on a senator, Kira <laughs> and then uh, blows her up. He, he he tricks into drinking a jar of piss. Yes, and it's a big plot point in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's there's a lot of setup, <laughs> and the payoff is very significant to the story. <laughs> and it's just that he tricks into drinking some piss before killing everybody. <laughs> no one else in this movie is having that much fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I truly love this Lex Luthor, and it was, like, a weirdly, like, important character for me. It was a weird, it was a pre-Spider-Man homecoming world where you just didn't see five, seven, 110-pound guys in superhero movies, and I was like, this makes me feel like I could hit on Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah, Lex gets, like, a few of the only good lines, and it's, uh, it's a waste. Yeah. <laughs> it's a waste. Um, I, yeah, I, people, mostly the consensus was this was a bad movie, and a few people have, like, tried to make the case that it's a good movie, and um, they do not have a leg to stand on, <laughs> because one of the plot points is that someone is arrested 
for committing and someone is charged with a hate crime for writing some writing graffiti that's mean about Superman and it's like you can't have a hate crime against the only one of his species <laughs> and if there were a hate crime it wouldn't be writing something a little mean about him just in public that's not that's not what a hate crime is, Zack Snyder. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Be- some people have real problems. <laughs> yeah. It's this thing where I I know I remember watching this movie and thinking it was mostly boring and bad, but, like, the more time passes, it's, like, the only things I remember are, like, pretty little gay Lex Luthor, that scene where Ben Affleck is, like, shirtless and, like, pulling all those chains, um, which is just incredible, and, like, the scene of Lois and Clark taking a bath together for no reason. So, like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's just a nonstop horny party, but there are a lot of scenes I'm forgetting of just, like, Clark Kent looking sad and then a building exploding. It's so long, and it makes no sense and it like has the nerve to make no sense while being boring and long and also like being like you know how disabled people are evil <laughs> which is something you know say what you will about batman versus superman that is right on track with dc's general party <laughs> line of always having some disabled villain for no reason <laughs> um they are it's such a waste of Superman to make him be in that movie. <laughs> At least like, if it was a just Batman and Luther, it would they were like I might even enjoy it out of spite. <laughs> yeah. I always forget that um this is only Superman's second movie and that it introduced Batman because it feels like it would be like a Infinity War thing. <laughs> like we're way down the line and just like doing stuff with these characters who already got their formulaic movies but it's like they just like forgot any of that right like age of ultron is also hot garbage but i had like i cared about everyone already you know i was like i i didn't watch that movie and be like well that's it for the franchise (laughs) uh amy adams as lois lane is good i mean i like lois lane i like amy adams um i don't She's not able to, like, make that character compelling because she's not given anything <laughs> to work with. Uh, I think that, like, <laughs> she did end up being, like, the strongest, most consistent character in, like, that trilogy. Yes. But, I mean, so much of that is just giving off a vibe that she is too good to be in this movie, <laughs> but she's going to stick it out like a champ and a professional and also being, like, yeah, you got Henry Cavill to be obsessed with you, even though he has superpowers <laughs> and is Henry Cavill. <laughs> you did it. You're, you're worth it, Amy Adams. <laughs> Next up is Arrival, which uh, I think is just an incredible movie. Um, I'd never seen it before doing this podcast, so I, I was very late to the party on it, but it far exceeded my expectations for it. Um, and especially, like, just like the more I think about it, I'm like, I cannot believe that got made because it is a like high budget sci-fi movie that is like an original story and like very based in having like a tight, strong screenplay, which just like feels like it did not happen for like 10 years before Arrival and won't happen again. 
Yeah, Arrival is very good. Um, it is a it's a it's a puzzle movie where like there's all these moving pieces and you don't really know what's going on, but in a an intriguing way. And something that I really appreciated rewatching it for this podcast is that it like holds up when you actually know what the end ending is. It like the way the pieces come together is interesting in a new way when you know ahead of time, which is something that you don't always get um, with movies that have like a twist, especially in sci-fi movies with a twist <laughs> where like if you know what happens, it just makes the film very boring because you're like waiting for <laughs> it to know. I think it sounded like there was like a huge, like huge tone, and it's more just like you, you get it. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's yeah, it's so different from like most puzzle movies. What drives me crazy about them is like the whole movie is like, like every scene is like, ooh, I bet you can't wait to know why this is interesting, and I'm like, no, like I'm not excited because you're not telling me what's interesting. Um, but, like, Arrival right out of the gate uh, is about um, aliens invasion. Or they're, I guess they're not invading because they're just, like, here. They're not, yeah. like, hurting anyone or anything. It's just this thing of, like, they're here and no one really understands why. And Arrival's thing is, like, exploring that in a really, like, realistic way and showing kind of all the connotations it would have on human society and culture just to, like, no aliens had arrived even before they start doing anything which i thought was like really cool like right from the get-go when um she's like trying to teach her class and her one of her students is like timidly like sorry to interrupt but you can you put the news on it was such a like weird like a really nicely like realistic take to like an alien invasion movie just like having to very awkwardly be like hey i'm sorry but uh this is kind of way more interesting <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, as it goes on, there was, like, a point where um, I started to, like, feel confused and, like, not even confused, but just had this feeling of, like, oh, when this is done, I'm going to, like, read some articles about this so I can really get it. Um, but then, like, by the end, it was really just, like, all extremely clear and just, like, a really great, like, easy to understand but very smart movie. Yeah, I, I think... That's one of the things I appreciate so much about it is I feel like there's a lot of movies that and TV shows and, you know, just just media that they'll pull off some like very elaborate, complicated thing. And then they'll be kind of like smug about like, it's up to you to decide mm -hmm. what happens. And there's there's some value to that. But I think I think people forget that you can actually tell a very compelling mystery and completely completely satisfy every question about it and have that be good and <laughs> better perhaps even and it not it's not it doesn't feel dumbed down to be like actually we do know what happened and you can think about it afterwards <laughs> because we just jumped into how much we love it it's about amy adams learning how to communicate english to an alien language which also like makes uh learning a language seem super fucking cool <laughs> It is cool if you can do that. I, I'm very bad at yeah. learning new it's, words, but... It's also really interesting <laughs> because it means that, like, she is, like, just a linguistics professor, and she has, like, 
high military clearance just because like they need someone who knows languages so it's like a good like fish out of water slash like in over her head story yeah it's it's nice to i feel like often there will be like a linguist character some sort of academic who's like they're the only one who understands the alien soil or whatever (laughs) and that person will just be like a wacky behind the scenes (laughs) character and it's it's cool to see just fully from their perspective (laughs) yeah and then like her character development is really cool because she does like reach a point where she's like clearly the bravest person in the movie which is uh just really cool to watch yeah she's she is great (laughs) i will say that as much as amy adams is like fantastic in that movie and it is a great movie it's one of those things where like it's got such a tight screenplay and such like a clearly like compelling good character that i do think like most talented actresses could have also made that a great movie. <laughs> right, yeah, I agree. It's not like... Um, it's not like a trademark Amy Adams. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do think, like, a lot of the people who are like, Amy Adams should have gotten an Oscar are just, like, thinking of, like, how much they like the movie Arrival and also how much they like Amy Adams. But, yeah. like, the two together are actually, like... Like, I think she was better in, like, Enchanted. <laughs> right, like, I... She brings something very specific to Enchanted that I don't think uh that many other actresses could have brought yeah and this is something that's i i get that's something i think about like with oscar nominations where like jennifer lawrence is very good in silver linings playbook but i think like almost any actress of her caliber would also have gotten an oscar (laughs) nomination which sort of made it like whatever for me (laughs) i i want to see a movie where i'm like oh this would have been bad if you weren't in it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i think like the thing about Arrival is it is so much, uh, it's so much, like, about the screenplay, um, and, like, specifically, like, the plotting and structure of it as opposed to, like, character work. It's not, like, um, like, The Sixth Sense, uh, is, like, famous for the twist, but, like, actually, when you rewatch it enough times, it's, like, just, like, a good drama about, like, a boy who feels isolated and his relationship with his mother, and I feel like Arrival is, like, not that. There's no, like, character drama underneath underneath it. Yeah. You, probably the ending would work a little better if there was a bit more character drama. But Yeah, they're, like, the, the romance between her and the dude is, like, <laughs> literally, like, only makes sense if it's, like, oh, it was always destined for this to happen, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure is just the thing you gotta get through in that movie, Yeah. <laughs> Next up is Nocturnal Animals, uh, a movie I know a lot of people love, and I could not get into it all. I watched it once and tried to watch it a second time to give it a fair shake, and I just, like, had so much trouble, like, figuring out what was supposed to be interesting about it. It just seems like one of those movies where you're, like, waiting for the compelling thing, and then eventually it ends. Uh, I liked it. I was very set up to like it because I saw like an early screening uh, where like Tom Ford was there (laughs) as like the director. (laughs) So it was like a very like receptive audience because people were like, oh, I liked a single man. Let's go to this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was lovely. I I very much the thing with Nocturnal Animals is like even having enjoyed it. I'm like, obviously, the point of that movie is how shitty Jake Gyllenhaal's character (laughs) is. 
And I do not think that that is intentional, but it's one of those things that I, I feel like if I just will it into being like, <laughs> this is a movie about how that book is bad, <laughs> uh, it, it kind of works for me. I think that's like, it's a movie I enjoy largely for just the aesthetic and performances. Um, God, who's the actor who plays like the, the cop who's like dying or whatever? Is that Aaron Taylor Johnson? I don't remember. No, no, no. The, um, the like, grizzled guy who's like, I'm going to help you get oh, your family. I don't think I knew that actor uh, He was great. <laughs> a lot of just dudes suffering <laughs> for no fucking reason. Uh, a lot of weird spaces, like, oh, it seems. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I dug it. I dug the aesthetic. Um, Lenny, I know that you had mentioned that you can't couldn't see anything, and that makes sense watching at home because I didn't see it on a big screen. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The aesthetic to me felt really terrible, and it like it's weird. It's for no reason that I know of. Starts with these this like slow mo of dancing naked women. That's like that part is like bright and colorful and like really really visually interesting. So it like set me up to be like, oh, this will be cool to watch, and then the rest of it just looks like. Like, you know how every single Hulu show is the same, like, just, like, incredibly dark uh, visual palette that's just, like, this is realistic, and also they did not turn the lights on. Just um, some, some greenish-grays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see the movie, and I think that really helped. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, if you can't see it on a big screen, don't even bother. That's kind <laughs> of what the movie's there for. Just see it. <laughs> Next up is Justice League, which is a movie that I just love so, so much. Uh, I watched it twice in theaters. I think I rewatched it like three times for this podcast. And I think every time I go into it, I have this fear of like, this is going to be the time that I'm like, oh, that was actually kind of corny and dumb. And every single time I'm like, this movie kicks ass. Yeah, Justice League <laughs> is great. <laughs> I, I cannot stress enough, Lenny and I want to like DC stuff. We like DC stuff. <laughs> Batman vs. Superman is just not good at even being for dorky comic book fans, and Justice League is a great time. <laughs> yeah. Like, the the weird thing about Justice League is, like, a bunch of people were like, ugh, it's trying to be like a Marvel movie, but they just meant that it like had a story that made sense. Like yeah, Marvel didn't invent stories having a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> Nor did they invent uh, characters you feel any emotional connection to uh, having a pleasant time sometimes, and then other times going through hardships that you're rooting for them to overcome. It's not. It's not complicated. No one has the patent on that. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I love everything about this movie. I love the dynamics between the characters, especially um, Bruce and Barry, I think, are the best part. Um, and it just sets up this, like, really um, clear, really simple message that I always love to see in superhero movies that's just, like, you know, no, how, no matter how dark and overwhelming things get, just, like, try to help as much as you can. And it, like, really effectively had that, that very simple, good message. Amy Adams is pretty much only in a couple scenes but she has she has a really good scene with diane lane um that i liked a lot that kind of um i i, I like it because um like in this genre you the audience know that like superman's death doesn't mean anything like big picture um so i liked that they had the scene of um 
Lois and Martha Kent uh, just reminding us that, like, to them, Clark Kent's death was, in fact, a big deal. And that helped you, like, actually, like, feel something about that plot point. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it's annoying when, like, there's a movie where two women only have a scene and they're just sort of like, that dude that we (laughs) both know. But it was genuinely nice also to just know that, like, Lois and Martha are there for each other and do have a relationship <laughs> right, and a dynamic. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> obviously, they're talking about Clark because, like, your uh, son and your fiancé are, like, pretty fucking important people in your <laughs> life. But it's, like, their relationship with each other that exists because they both knew Clark. Yeah, like, I, I think there is a, a shallow version of it where it's, like, if, if there was a scene... Lois and uh, Diana had had scenes that were just like talking about Barry, whom they just met. It would feel weird, but it was it felt the loss of Clark felt uh, more so because you're like, oh, right. These women also like had had Lois and Clark gotten married like they would have been family and they're holding on to that even though like they're now not going to become literally family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does a good job of like. I feel like a lot of, um, obviously a lot of stuff gets like brushed over in action franchises. Um, and it just did a good job of like reminding you that like the thing about Clark's death is that like Lois still had to like go back to work and like have a job after that. And I feel like a lot of, um, action franchises really lose like that detail of how like not only is this a real thing that happened, but just like now your life has to like really continue in all its minutiae yeah definitely and it's that's ah, a fun movie it's i like everyone so <laughs> i hate like i've talked to a lot of people who are like oh cheesy ezra miller barry just like desperately trying to be comic relief and like having jokes and it's like that's good it made the movie better yeah he was funny <laughs> <laughs> and he's still like a real character he's not like I know, like, some action movies have, like, the tech guy who, like, after all the action stuff goes down will just, like, say one funny thing. But Barry is, like, a real character who has, like, the best emotional arc in the movie and then still just, like, also says funny things. And, like, the thing is, like, some of them aren't that funny and I like that because it's, like, how he just met, like, the handsomest, coolest, richest person he'll ever meet. So it's, like, yeah, like, nothing he comes out is coming out, like, clever. <laughs> yeah, you try saying something cool to Batman. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> I also, I feel like Steppenwolf is, like, not an interesting villain, and I feel like people uh, sort of shit on this movie for, like, having a boring plot. But it's like, yeah, but after years and years and years of Marvel movies, like, I'm so thrilled to just know what's happening in every scene. (laughs) Cannot be stated enough. It's good in movies when the audience knows what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, underrated. (laughs) Yeah, it's... You fucking tell me what Doom say. What's up to? <laughs> Who gives a shit? Who's, what does Loki ever want? Yes. I dare a Loki stand to tell me what he wants in any movie. <laughs> oh, except with the Ragnarok when he just wants to just have a great time. I, that I relate to. <laughs> yeah. um, I know, like, obviously, whenever you love a movie, you're, like, gonna make excuses for it. But I do think Justice League very genuinely got an unfair deal because... So many people hated 
hate like so many people hate Zack Snyder and then Zack Snyder fans also hated this movie because he didn't finish it which is like I feel like was a weird reaction because like if you know what happened like he had he like chose to quit to like grieve properly and still like very much um had you know I don't want to say like control because he didn't finish the movie but like they weren't like fuck you Zack Snyder you're fired (laughs) in any way um he's a very important person to DC who chose to walk away from this movie so I just like feel like the way Zack Snyder fans felt like they had to hate it on his behalf was like so bizarre yeah it's it's rough because the like the circle of people who hate Zack Snyder and the circle of people who hate uh, Joss Whedon mm-hmm. and then the circle of people who, like, will just hate every any <laughs> superhero comic book movie on principle is just, like, so much of nerd culture. <laughs> like, it's just, there was just no winning in that. <laughs> and then I've, yeah, be, I definitely, people really acted like it was a garbage movie. <laughs> And there are plenty of, like, legitimately not great movies that I will stand up for on the basis that they were, like, a good time. Like, Green Hornet is a shit show, <laughs> but, like, Green Hornet is the only superhero shit show that, like, is trying to have fun in the way that that movie is trying to have fun and do something different, and I defend it, but, like, Justice League makes sense, <laughs> and I like the characters, and... The things they're doing are entertaining. I, there's no problem with it. Besides, you personally were mad about some some movie you watched ten years ago that you're still upset about. Yeah. People like I'm not like a super big Joss Whedon fan. I mostly just like Buffy. But like people made up like so much stuff, being like, "Oh, classic Whedon having these like sexist upskirt shots," and it's like. One, there aren't really upskirt shots. Two, I saw Sucker Punch. So yeah. I don't know why Zack Snyder fans are like, uh, Whedon brought his male gaze to it. Yeah, it was, um, could have gone a lot of ways and just everyone decided they were going to hate that perfectly good movie in such a way to punish us the second that very boring franchise started to get good. Yeah, um, this movie also has, uh, the post a post credit scene that is my favorite thing I've ever seen in film. Just really a gift to everyone who uh, wants a big buff guy to push Lex Luthor up against a wall. And uh, because of the fi- financial failures of Justice League, we will never get to see what would have been the beautiful, beautiful follow up of that post credit scene. <laughs> I want so much to have a fun, but like also overly serious uh deathstroke movie it would be such a win-win for me to have a like the Zack snyder like super serious deathstroke movie that i could make fun of (laughs) or to have like a justice league toned wacky adventure with deathstroke either way i win and i have been deprived of this (laughs) yeah really every everyone fucked up except for us all right, next is the uh, HBO TV show Sharp Objects, um, which uh, I tried to watch several episodes of, and I just found it really boring, really hard to watch. It's just like, there's not a good entry point of that movie. It has that um, just TV shows, even if they're like not streaming shows, 
all TV shows in the age of binge watching have a thing of being like, no, you'll you'll keep watching to episode five to find out what the premise is. And I'm like, no, I absolutely will not. Yeah, Sharp Objects to me was very frustrating. Um, I know I, I keep bringing up now that like, I just want to know what's happening in every scene in a way that I, I worry might come off like I'm a dummy. <laughs> and I'm not, I... What was frustrating to me about Sharp Objects feeling, it felt, the way it was filmed and the way it was presented and edited and written, just like everything about it, felt like it was deliberately inaccessible towards some sort of greater point of like seeming smarter or more yes, artistic. Exactly. And what I found extra frustrating about that is that I had read the novel Sharp Objects. So I literally knew what was happening in every scene. It just wasn't being translated at all. Like I would see a scene and I'd be like, oh, that's the scene where she talks to the father and he gives a hint about this. But like it was not on the screen at all. It was just like them standing there and then like weird intercuts and me being like, well, I know what was supposed to have been there. Um, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get really, uh, frustrated about this show because, like, it's so upsetting that HBO just, like, has the budget and the branding to make people watch shows they aren't actually enjoying. So, like, while it was airing every single Sunday on Twitter, you would just see tweets that were like uh still don't know what's happening on sharp objects and then people would just like keep doing that the entire time it was airing just like because it's an hbo show with all these like huge stars and that's just uh really upsetting um i think uh you said this sarah that like timeless fans have to break into people's houses to try and get them to watch timeless <laughs> meanwhile people are watching sharp objects every week and not enjoying it and that's just such a frustrating state of television. Yeah, it's the prestige label is just not the friend of like TV as a medium. It's yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because like sharp objects, I feel like people were very like just kind of tepid on, and then there'll be shows that people like outright hate, like the newsroom, where like every single week there'll be like another bad episode of the newsroom, which like I understand choosing to torture yourself, but when we all collectively do it that's when I find it frustrating because it's just like you don't have to watch every HBO show that gets like write-ups in variety or whatever yeah I I watched every episode of the newsroom and I felt like very strongly that I was doing it as like a personal bit <laughs> and I'm a little offended that like other people were also watching the newsroom and I'm like no I watched that because me and my friend talked about it I don't <laughs> who are you guys talking about this show with? It's not me. It's not my friend. Oh, it's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, lots of great actors in Sharp Objects, which you should see in other projects. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Patricia Clarkson is great in Easy A. Uh, obviously, we gave you our recommendations for stuff you should other stuff you should watch with Amy Adams. Yeah, honestly, even just like for TV, watch Patricia, uh, Patricia Clarkson and like uh, Parks and Rec, and then Amy Adams' uh, Smallville episode, <laughs> and you'd be better off. <laughs> or read the book; mm -hmm. it's not that long. I was able to read it, and I'm illiterate, so. <laughs> Um, all right, our final thing is Vice, which Sarah was lucky enough to not see. 
um, correct? You haven't seen it since we last talked. Oh, no, no. I was, I thought we were going to record this much earlier, and so I, I put the deadline on when yeah. I had to yeah. catch up I on IBD watch- before Vice came out. Yeah. On purpose. I did that on purpose. <laughs> I definitely didn't watch it for this, uh, but... We had to re-record some stuff, so now I have watched Vice and can report it was way worse than I thought it would be. Um, The thing about Vice is that Adam McKay only made it because he hates Dick Cheney so much and wanted people to know. And then in this movie, he doesn't show Dick Cheney doing bad things. Like... It's like Dick Cheney is the most passive character imaginable who just kind of like wanders around like answering phones and being like, I got an offer to be vice president. Do you think I should do it? And like a bunch of people happen to die because of that. And you never see Dick Cheney being a bad person. Um, And it's just like the most I know we've both there's been a theme of us saying uh, that that movie should explain what's going on (laughs) but vice does the most condescending thing of just constantly being like let me break out a powerpoint of what the deficit is at all times and it's like you're not being a movie just like take away all the explainers and instead show dick cheney making choices that lead to bad things happening like a story would and it just it never does and it's so frustrating and um obviously like doing the viewing for this podcast i came to be like amy adams is one of the greatest actors of all time and as soon as i had that revelation i had a very genuine fear that she would sweep awards because of sharp objects and vice and it would be like a terrible monkey's paw (laughs) and then instead i think like everyone realized that those uh those things don't matter that much and amy adams will be good and stuff next year so we don't have to worry about it yeah the one thing i learned is she will definitely continue to just be good in things thank goodness yeah (laughs) yeah it's yeah, I say a lot that I want to know what's happening in a movie. What I mean by that is I want to not feel like the movie's mad at me <laughs> for caring about what's happening. The thing is, like, Vice over-explains so much, but then I still never felt like I knew Dick Cheney's motivations or, like, his plans for anything, which are, like, pretty fucking important things to include if you're trying to make a case for someone being a terrible person right like that movie was still punishing you for wanting the characters to be compelling it just in a new exciting way that movies usually don't take (laughs) yeah just if i'm gonna gonna sit down for two hours or god forbid an entire season of television like have the decency to tell me who who's doing what and why you know i <laughs> i don't need to understand the entire world global conflict just you know this guy wants this so he does this that's all i'm asking <laughs> please amy adams uh, <laughs> fix this for me <laughs> um all right so i am awarding my gold star to her an incredible movie um it's basically about cyber sex and is also a brilliant commentary on the human condition five stars can't recommend it enough uh sarah what what are you giving your gold star to um because her kind of covers drama i want to uh highlight amy's very very good comedic performance in enchanted which is 
That was like the big surprise for me during this uh this watch for the podcast is I I remembered liking Enchanted and then she's just really good in it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I already said it's like I just don't think um I think there were so many other actresses who would have had like fantastic comedic performances, but she just brings like this real Amy Adams brings this very real like emotional depth to the character and this like sense of anger that feels very like authentic and not put upon and it it really upgrades the movie it, for me like it's it's also just really fun it's such a fun movie yeah enchanted is an incredible movie and then i am of course giving my black ball to the x a terrible movie that nobody should ever watch uh yeah the strong consensus there <laughs> just one of the worst things i've ever seen yeah terrible true garbage <laughs> Um, all right, let's close this out with a quick uh, fuck, Mary kill of all Amy Adams's characters. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to fuck, I don't remember her name, but the woman in Miss Pettigrew, who is just always walking around in her underwear. It's a great time. Um, I'm going to marry Giselle from Enchanted. And I am going to kill the Smallville girl because I think she does kill and eat at least one guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, sexiest character is her character in Miss Pettigrew lives for a day because she is just always wearing like these fancy little underwears. Yeah. <laughs> it's for being clearly a movie for you to watch with your mom. It's an incredibly sexy movie. Yeah, and she's she just seems like fun. She's oh yeah, because uh, her character in American Hustle is like very sexual, but in like a way where it's like. Yeah, you know, sex is just another way to use people. And her character in Miss Pettigrew lives for a day is like, well, you know, I was talking and then I felt like having sex, so we had sex. <laughs> so yeah. just having a great, she's just enjoying her life. <laughs> yeah, there, there aren't enough sexy temptresses who are just like great ladies, who are good friends to other women. Yeah, it, it was like very wholesome in its horniness because it wasn't like, this is, uh, yeah, this is unseemly. It's just sort of like, no, she's having a nice time. She... <laughs> Guess I would marry. Guess I would marry a character in Arrival because I wouldn't have a choice. Guess <laughs> I'd kill a character in the X just to have something happen in that movie, just to get her out of there, nice. just to, to help her get her out of the X. <laughs> All right, uh, everybody, listen to Arden podcast uh, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Sarah's upcoming podcast, Historical Hookups. And uh, be sure to follow the Filmographers podcast on at uh, on Twitter at Filmos Podcast. Uh, you can also see the link to the Patreon there to get lots of uh, bonus episodes, including one with Sarah where we talk about Gotham. Yeah, I think that's everything. I, uh, I added a bunch of new tiers to the Patreon uh, today, so... Whether you want to give me $1 or $100 or anything in between, you have lots of options. Uh, Sarah, is there anything else you want to plug? Um, you can follow me at Sarah Golub. Uh, Sarah does not have an H. Uh, if you want to see more tweets about my opinions on you will see me talk about the Superman movies and Gotham, and you're like, gotta, gotta have more, gotta have more. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.